In the Pits now has a Patreon. Whether you want to get directly involved with the show, have a product or brand you want to promote, or just want to show support, In the Pits Patreon has tiers for all levels. Head to patreon.com slash in the pits paintball podcast to check out the supporter, sponsor, and partner tiers. Opening up a Patreon was a level I could never have imagined getting to when starting this show a year ago. And whether I get a thousand subscriptions or not a single one, I'm still super thankful for all of the support I've received from all of you. Enjoy the episode. In the Pits is partnered with Uno's Jerky. Made right here in the state of Texas by J.C. Lamon, Uno's has some of the best tasting jerky around, and each flavor has ties back to Texas paintball. I personally recommend the Texas Titan flavor. Head to unosjerky.com and use code PITS10, where a portion of every purchase will go back into the Texas paintball scene. In the Pits is sponsored by Hermes. Hermes has you covered for custom headwear, all hand-cut and hand-sewn here in the Lone Star State. From unique batik patterns to wax designs, hand-dyed material, and other soft goods and casual wear. Check out Hermes on Instagram at HermesPB. In the Pits is sponsored by Hustletown Paintball. Hustletown is a brand by Jason Tinsley of Houston that is all about representing Houston paintball and highlighting its local talent. Head to hustletownpaintball.net to browse their selection of casual wear and use code PIT10 for 10% off of your order. In the Pits is partnered with Compete. Compete is a Texas-based brand by Jell Stewart of professional team AC Diesel that provides custom jerseys, pants, headbands, straps, tech shirts, and any other soft goods to help individuals and teams compete at the highest level. Support Texas Paintball and message Compete on Facebook or Instagram and mention In the Pits podcast for 10% off your entire order. In the Pits is sponsored by FU Athletics, created with a purpose and focused on building a better you. We are a brand that matters in your workout, and every purchase gives back to cancer research. Go to thefuathletics.com and use code INTHEPITS25 for 25% off of your order. In the Pits is partnered with Get That Shot. Get That Shot now offers first-in-line photo and video editing, 20% off Get That Shot merch, and 20% off prints to all teams that wear the Get That Shot logo on their jersey. Message get that underscore shot on Facebook or Instagram to become a get that shot program team. In the Pits is partnered with Paintball Kumite. Paintball Kumite is a program designed by Colt Roberts of professional team San Antonio X Factor to take paintball players of all ages, experience levels, and skill groups and mold them into champions. The program breaks the game down into small, easy to learn sessions designed to help you master the fundamentals so that you can elevate your game. Newcomers to the program get a free one-hour introductory class when mentioning In the Pits. To sign up for a class, message at paintballkumite on Instagram. Welcome everyone to episode 50 of In the Pits Paintball Podcast. This podcast is focused on everything that has to do with the paintball scene here in Texas, from professional players and teams to new divisional programs, local tournament series, field owners, Texas-based brands, even photographers and videographers. Every week, we'll have a short and sweet episode with a new topic and a new special guest. I'm Christian Smith. I'm a player for the Texas Titans, and this episode, we are going in the pits with the voice of paintball himself, Matty Marshall. Matty, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing absolutely spectacular, my friend. How are you doing? I'm doing great. This has uh, been a long journey these past almost uh, full year, and 
part of me is just can't believe that I'm at this point uh, being able to get yourself on the show. So I appreciate you coming on, taking some time out of your day for this. Hey, my pleasure, man. Uh, episode 50, congratulations. Creating uh, any sort of, you know, as we were kind of talking before we went live, creating any sort of digestible nugget of information to give to the world, to get them to care is, is kind of a pain in the ass sometimes. And it's, uh, and you have to put yourself out there. Um, you're putting other people out there and you're trying to get those people to be honest with their stories. It's hard. Um, but there is no other way forward if you want to get people to get excited about something other than taking them to play paintball. But the only other way is to tell them a super awesome paintball story. So, um, I also have to say, I'm gonna have to apologize ahead of time because you said, you know, in your in your uh, in your intro, short, short and sweet, <laughs> man, I, I can do sweet. But, bro, short, that's not my specialty, dude. Oh, I think uh, everybody who's been uh, listening to or been involved in paintball the last couple of years, I think we're more than OK with that. Uh, we know that there's definitely uh, going to be even if it's long and sweet, we know it's going to be chock full of uh, of meat and potatoes there. So uh Let's go ahead and get started with this thing. So there are a lot of viewers out there who know of you, but maybe relatively newer in the scene, such as myself. I've only been involved in paintball since uh, February of 2015. So even though that's eight plus years now, that's still very little in comparison to the overall history of paintball. So could you tell us how long have you been involved in paintball and what are some of the teams that you have either played for or been involved with over the years? <clears throat> well, I started playing in, uh, in 1993, late 1993, um, when I was 15. And then I, I was lucky because the field that I went and played as a, you know, super newbie fun, just having a good time with my buddies, uh, paintball player happened to be at a place called Borderland. Borderland, true to its name, right down by the Mexico border and a uh, place called Otay Lakes by a skydiving port, um, kind of eastern part of San Diego. And the dude that owned that field was one of the leaders of a, of a pro team that was really good and won championships in the 80s. So this is early nine, mid to early 90s. And uh, his name was Barry Arena. So he owned the field. But he was one of the prime movers kind of of that current incarnation of Navarone. Um, while the sport was changing from pump guns into semi-automatic uh, from a technological standpoint. So that dude came up to me and uh, he was like, hey, kid, you're pretty good. You know, this was a couple months into playing. Um, and he was like, hey, uh, you know, if you want to come and try out for our, our, our you know, our, I know you know that there's a tournament team here. But I mean, I'd only played paintball maybe three or four times before Barry was like, hey, come and try out for our pro team. Um so that was a blessed uh, confluence of it, of um, you know, of, of being in the right pl place at the right time, with the right type of talent, and uh, and so I was able to you know to get on that team. That team was you know again Navarone, and then um, ended up playing for Navarone for a while and kind of made a charge. Um, we took like a fourth place pro. Uh, these are all different stories, and then ended up playing for a. Uh, um, on the transition before I got on uh, Ironman in 98, cause they were revamping with a lot of young guys, you know, like Billy wing, Michael McLaughlin, myself, Davey Williamson, um, Eric Roberts, and then Oliver Lang after that, then the next generation came up, Yoshrao. Um, and then we won, uh, with them and, uh, kind of, and it's, 
but I know there's a lot of divisional guys watching this, but, um, and then I went on to, to help found excessive and then retired to do what I do now. But, uh, and I played with joy division in Europe too. Cause that was kind of the, so there's a lot of stories here. Cause you know, there were no, now it's like you take American mercenaries and go to Europe and win Harrison Fry just helped uh, joy division win. I think that's all, again, that's, I, I got a lot of skin in that game cause I played for joy division in 2001 and we won Brighton beach um against like avalanche and image and some badass teams back in the day with like a, a bunch of swedes and me uh oliver lang and mike mclaughlin so it's been a fun ride man it's been a pretty pretty good uh pretty good adventure so far and i i bet i can't even imagine like uh there's one person in the chat one of my teammates uh leo lamas he says he was one years old in 1993 uh so just to tell you like there's there's definitely some history that especially the newer players like we just got to hear this and uh, i'd love to be able to capture some of these things so i uh, i mean getting into a pro team after what third or fourth time playing paintball ever uh what was it that made you get into paintball in the first place to be honest it was to play war that's why i played paintball it wasn't it wasn't like a game i mean it was a game but you know, I grew up on a canyon in San Diego, California, and uh, we would just do, you know, wrist ro- rocket wars. I mean, dude, we were throwing and shooting anything we possibly could at each other from the second I could get my hands on any of that stuff. Um, this was like pre-nerf, like whatever. We didn't have any of that like force on force stuff. So when I had a buddy of mine that had played paintball, um, was like, hey, you know, and then, well, we had saw it on, uh, I saw it on, um, it was on the real world LA, the second real world ever. And they had went and played just a fun day of paintball. And it was like 10 o'clock at night. Me and my buddies were kind of hanging out at my house before we all, you know, went back, back, they went back to their pads. And then, and my buddy was like, oh, I played paintball before. Cause I was like, holy shit. I didn't even know that there was a thing really. I didn't know that paintball existed or I would have been playing that from the second I possibly could have known that it was a thing. Cause the second I found out that it was a thing, I was like, Holy shit, you can go play war in the woods. Oh dude, with guns and you can shoot each other legally. This is awesome. So, and that's not a really PC thing to say these days. Cause it's, you know, it has evolved into this colorful and very charismatic game, but I, I didn't start playing paintball cause it was a sport. I went because it was like, Oh, we're going to get in a gunfight in the woods and see who wins. Like that's what, still to this day kind of how i look at look at it you know it's like if there's a zombie apocalypse like dynasty's gonna own everything because they're, they're <laughs> killing everybody and winning everything now so um so that's why that's why i wanted to do it because i had grown up on a canyon that i spent every waking moment i possibly could in that canyon um doing all sorts of you know anything force on force that we could find and then uh, once i found out the paintball was a thing went and played it and just immediately fell in love with it, man. Like I was like, I, this is, there's a certain almost subliminal sublime appreciation that, uh, of just life itself after you leave a day of paintball. I mean, it doesn't matter what happens after that. You get a parking ticket. Somebody could be yelling at you. Like the volume of life gets turned down. So, and I just love that. And then I kind of was seeking once I was trying to wrap my head around it, I just wanted to seek out the best players um, that I could play against and try to beat them. It's incredible how powerful that bug is once you've get got bit by it for the first time. I uh, I remember my very first time playing paintball. I uh, was right after my freshman year of high school, and even though my technically my first kill in paintball was a surrender, 
but even even that feeling i just made it like oh this is something that i want to do and while kind of looking back on it i was a little bit sad that i didn't get into it sooner because i live right down the street from x factor but uh now i like it's incredible just the what gets you into the game the first time the bug and then the completely different bug of competition that uh keeps you there and uh brings you to that higher level uh so kind of continuing forward and with how long you've been in the game i'm sure that you've witnessed ebbs and flows all different kinds of changes and improvements uh you know going to new trends going away from them over the years so this question is brought to us by hustletown paintball head to hustletownpaintball.net use code pit10 for 10 percent off of your order so throughout all of the years what are some of the more notable things that have changed within paintball either just the rec side or the experience or even within tournaments either for better or for worse i mean at the end of the day everything has changed and nothing has changed literally every single fraction of the from head to toe except for maybe the jt spectras but um other than that like everything has changed but nothing's changed in the sense so all of the different details the paint jobs and the mechanism upon which that we build the initial pretense of this activity all that's changed but the pretense of the activity like what why we're doing it is exactly the same those dudes got guns and those dudes got guns, who's the best? Who's going to win? That's it. That's, that's what we're doing. So, you know, it, and, and, the, and, the, and the details of how upon which that prime, you know, essential instigating event happens, like all that's changed. But so, and yeah, I mean, I could spend hours talking about all the, because when I, I mean, dude, when I started playing, I mean, it was like Marty Bush who I ended up being a teammate with on the Ironman in 98 when I got on the team. But in 19, and I remember walking out, like we were just wearing goggles back in the day. And like, it was raining in Dallas and a Texas event. It was my first Texas event. And I had, you know, wanted to go watch the Ironman play and I walk out. And so you, there, you know, this is how blessed we are now. You can like tune into the webcast or watch a video on YouTube. But in order to watch pro paintball back in the day, you had to physically go to the location that that was happening. And then you had to, figure out and like look at the schedule because that shit wasn't always right and then you had to find out where the field was then you had to walk out and it's in a it's a 10-man big ass woods ball field and you got to find where you can at least get a glimpse of these legends rolling around out there and uh and marty bush comes pushing up on this one side and the ironmen are just fucking this team up and uh just talking shit and having a good time and marty bush uh ends up coming through and he's like calling his shot he's like I'm going to go here and shoot this guy. And like, he's just using a pump gun, dude. So like there was pump guns being used in professional paintball at, at that time period by, you know, the, by one of the best to ever do it, Marty Bush. Um, and then now, and then, and if you fast forward, not even that, that long amount of time, I mean, fast forward 20 years in the grand scheme of things, that's not a ton, but in 2004, you know, they were trying to take the guns back down from, because in 2003, 2004 was the wild, wild west. I mean, we were shooting chainsaws at each other. You know, like, I remember getting a, the, the first DM3 at World Cup in, two, uh, uh, in 2003, and it had an Aggie board in it, and anyone that knows what that is knows what I'm talking about. 
and we I had been using a single trigger matrix that whole first season of the NXL, and I finally get one of them like the crazy machine guns, bro. That thing was a laser beam of paintballs. It's shooting paintballs this like this close to each other, like twenty five balls a second. It was a walking bunker. I remember I went over to see the Oakland Assassin dudes, and I was like, "You dudes have had these all year long. How have you not won every event?" Like it was <laughs> unbelievable, bro. Like it, it's so. And then we had to bring it back for twenty five, like uncap ramp, which essentially was around. I'd say about 25, 26 balls a second. And we're playing, you know, like games are finishing 15, 13, we're playing 25 minute halves in X ball. Like in, I remember counting my welts one year in uh, Vegas at the end of the event when I was like going up the center a bunch and, you know, bunker people getting bunkered, shooting, you know, people getting destroyed. And, uh, and I had like 120 something welts from like just the top of my head to my belt line. Um, so you know, like a lot had changed during that pump gun to laser, like machine, like chainsaw machine guns uh, with X ball and seven man and 10 man and different time periods or how long the games are and all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, it's the same shit. It's those guys, those people have guns and those people have guns and we're about to play a game of paintball. Who wins? Yep. Uh, I mean, the motivations are, uh, it seems like that, that drive for competition, just, Hey, our, me and my group of friends are better than you and your group of friends. Uh, it's just what it always comes down to. And just the different ways over the years that I guess the, the parameters for that have changed, but I mean, the competition is still there. And I think, uh, especially right now in, uh, what feels like an exciting time in paintball, I, uh, we're starting to see more blood, you know, kind of fresh blood, uh, you know, breath of fresh air, breathe back into it, at least uh, locally here in Texas. I don't know if you're feeling the same sentiment on the national scene, but uh, here in Texas, we're definitely seeing that a lot more. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, just, you, could, you know, there's a couple different ways you could look at this, but just currently in the NXL standings, the fact that the Hurricanes have come in and d- done so well, X Factor, or sorry, um, uh, Aftermath has a completely new team built with divisional players. They just came off uh, a pretty solid performance where they took sixth, um, went undefeated in the prelims. Uh, new York Extreme, though, and the, you know these some of these guys have been around for a long time at a divisional level, but we're seeing that at the top end. Um, I do continue to see certain names and teams pop up on the divisional side of things when it gets to center court for the big uh, battles for first and second. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've been, you know, COVID was good for paintball. Everyone I know that was running a paintball business, um, a field or a store. And I'm not talking about like the ones that are not run professionally, but the ones that are run well, like, I mean, you know, they did really well during COVID because there wasn't a lot to do. You're either going to go play golf, take your kids to the park, or you can go play paintball. I mean, there's a few other things, but you know, so COVID was actually good for paintball. Another thing that's good for paintball is that a lot of people that grew up, uh, given their all to this game 10 years ago, um, you know, or even or 15 years ago, or even longer than that, they have now become grown ass humans that have regular jobs and money. And they've set their lives up in a way where they're like, you know what, man, like, I really love paintball. I'm going to I'm going to go play a couple events a year. And their significant others are like, yeah, please do. I need you out of the house for a little bit. So you can, <laughs> you know, be uh, a better human. Um, and that's kind of what paintball does to you. It does if you look at it the right way, it makes you a better human. So I agree. There has been a, a new influx of players. Um, the regional leagues are strong. The fields and stores seem to be doing pretty well. We are riding a, an upswing again. 
uh, and that's a that's a that's a blessing for sure. I can't tell you how many times online in the different Facebook groups I hear looking to get back into the game after so many years. You're seeing that more and more day by day, and I think. Uh, a lot of that, those players that are now getting back in uh, were inspired from things that they saw 10, 15, 20 years ago, a lot of which featured you. So this next question is brought to us by Paintball Kumite, which is Colt Roberts training regimen. Uh, special shout out to Colt Roberts for uh, con yeah. connecting us together, making this episode possible. So uh, your history as a player, um, part of that, uh, in, at least in my personal research doing uh, for this episode, I went and watched Push, Sunday Drivers, and Heroes for a Day for the very first time. So in these films, you played for the Ironmen, and then you also played for Sacramento Excessive. And during uh, these films, during this time, you are constantly referred to by your teammates as one of the best back players in the world. So what were some of the things that you personally were doing differently at the time, either in your preparation or maybe different techniques that you're doing um, or the way or how often that you drilled or trained that uh, kind of elevated you to this elite status? Well, I have to thank Shane Pastana because I came up as a front player. So, you know, to me, paintball was because it, you know, it, and I've been lucky enough to do some military training throughout the years with, with different types of force on force um, weapon systems. And it's different when you're playing for your life. But when you're playing paintball, you have the luxury of being aggressive. And it's hard because, you know, that is not the easiest for everybody, you know, to give your life away potentially or to get or to incur some pain. Um, and so it does take some players. I'm sure maybe if somebody listens to this, that th this may resonate. Sometimes it's the opposite. Some people with paintball, they're just, they're too aggressive. So it's this fine dance that happens between those two things. And when I came up, I was, you know, trying to be, and the group of guys that I was with, we were all, you know, basically set on exerting our will uh, aggressively against our opponents to have a certain style of play and to help, you know, kind of, and, and that's just how the mindset was. So Shane Pestana came to me when we had this influx of, um, of a lot of front guys uh, in the, in like 99 and then actually it was probably 2000 when we won the title and the world cup at the same time. And he had said, he's like, Hey, Maddie, um, cause I just had a pretty good 99 and, uh, as a front guy, but he was like, I need somebody that has a really loud voice and that's, that can play like a front player, but to, but play from the back and, and, uh, and that sees the field well, can gunfight. Well, that's you, you have to do this job for us because at the time, some of the older guys on the Ironman were aging out and we needed offensive minded gunfighting centric, good communicators as a back player. And those, those, that phrase I just said describes what you're, the archetype of what you need to be as a good elite back player. And so we tried to go out and create that archetype. And, you know, so that's what it was. You know, it's like you have to be able to have a big booming voice that carries like, you listen to, Yo bro, you can hear Yosh Rao. If Yosh Rao were to stand out in front of my house right now and yell, you would hear him two blocks down, bro. Like, he's got a huge booming voice. Mike Paxton, huge booming voice. Some people don't have booming voices, but their voice cuts and you can hear it, and it's distinct. 
Um, but you have to be able to communicate. And then you need to be willing and very down for the gunfight because that's what you're supposed to be doing all the time. You know, I mean, it's a little different now because there's a lot of lane holding and survivability issues with the way the layouts have been recently. There's not a lot of points to work with, but that's not how that shit was back in the day. You know, so you kind of got to get out to a corner and, and dominate and be like an elite gunfighter. And then you have to be able to close games. And another important thing is you need to have the ability to shed the stress and the, and the, uh, and the concern when you are in a bad situation. If it's two on seven or two on ten, then you need to think. Look, there's no reason. I there's no. I have no business winning this. All right. Well, let me play some jazz with this. Let's see what we can do in this situation. And so, when you combine those those mental elements, these are all mental things I'm talking about. Uh, physical side of it's a little bit different, but um, but yeah, those are the thing. That's kind of where the the transition happened in the in the game from like a tactical and strate- strategic standpoint. Because then you had these like LB Fowl or Travis Samansky or, I mean, even d- certain people moved back a little bit, played the twos evolved, the threes, the those back players, you know, that's what we call the you know third attacker essentially. But yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 about being a front player that plays in the back and has the attributes needed to persevere and prevail um, against the best in the world. Sorry, so, I got some long-winded No, that's but like, that's great. Is- uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, so it sounds like just being able to, you know, exert your will uh, in a nutshell, uh, both among uh, your team and against the opposing team, uh, being able to exert your will in whatever situation. Uh, and it and close games. Like you have to look at it from a you know so. A lot of times you, you can't just go out into the back corner and like, you know, pitch a tent, start a campfire, roast some marshmallows. I mean, you got to you have to get out to that situation and think, OK, well, if somebody dies, you have to make that move forward, um, you know, and then also, OK, you know, how do we what, do, what am I going to do? And there's not a lot of planning for that. You kind of just got to make it happen if you're in a bad situation to pull out games. But I mean, I feel like kind of how I made a lot of my name was. At least in you know in the beginning, it was by being a front player. That's how I got on the Ironman, and then post two thousand, um, it was by winning a lot of low body situations and being a really good gunfighter. So that's kind of and then for that, I mean, I dude, I just love being in gunfights, man. Like that was fun to me. I mean, when paintball got monotonous, like when you're playing, because at one point we're playing like all the European events, all the MPPLs, all the NXLs. We're traveling, we're practicing, you know, every weekend. I mean, you're, like paintball completely consumes your life. Now, you know, I mean, that was what we chose to do, and it was a great ride. But the but you kind of have to have a reason to do that. You know, it's like uh, I've said this quote before in different situations, but. And I never thought that uh, that uh, Nick Diaz would be the, the poet, but uh, Nick Diaz, USC fighter, not known for being eloquent. But one time in in the build up to a fight, and in a big fight, I think I might have, I can't remember who it was against, but um, you know, he had said that he's like they asked him, you know, kind of what the game mean, or, you know, what what does fighting mean to him, and he said you need to you need to you need to put yourself in a position where. You're, you're working so hard that you hate it. But in that hate, you will find something that you love and that makes you understand what it is about this thing that you're doing um, that gives you a, a, you know another level of appreciation for it. And that's where the love is. So I used to love to get into gunfights, man. Paintball gunfights, 
dude, that, that, you know, so I would do that a lot. You know I mean? I would really focus on that because, you know, there's a certain interesting thing about dodging a moving, you know, a paintball is moving at you at 300 feet per second. It's about 200 miles an hour. You know, they say that hitting a baseball is the hardest thing to do. Well, you know, a baseball is, uh, if it's an elite level major league fastball, it's going to have movement. It's going to be probably going at least a hundred miles an hour, upper nineties, hundred miles an hour. Paintball is a fraction of the size of a baseball and you have to dodge paintballs out there. So, you know, that's a pretty exciting thing. And, uh, I used to love doing that. Well, uh, there's a lot that, uh, there's a lot of different aspects that goes into the game overall. Uh, working with Colt Roberts this past year on his uh, paintball Kumite stuff, it's been very interesting to kind of break down the different elements of the game. Like I know your favorite uh, part you said was to get into gunfighting. Uh, my personal favorite would be uh, honestly shooting someone off the break. That's, that's my favorite thing is just being able to tell their snake player, Hey, you don't get to play paintball at this point. Sorry, go back. Uh, better luck next time. Uh yeah, that's uh, and just those little aspects within the game itself is just so it it makes the moments and the moments are what we remember. Well, have you uh, have you ever seen the Quentin Tarantino movie? Well, it's Robert Rodriguez too, but uh, from Dust Till Dawn. I have not. So it's like a campy vampire horror slasher movie. It's pretty fun, but um, there's a scene in that movie where George Clooney. So it's George Clooney and and uh, Quentin Tarantino. They're the main characters, and they're—I think they're brothers. Anyway, but it's in a fun film. But in it, there's a scene where, uh, where George Clooney looks at the dude and he's like, "I got," and he's uh, got a revolver with six bullets in it. And he's like, "I got six friends, look, six little friends, and they all can run faster than you can." And so, you know, we used to say that to the young little—you know—anytime there'd be like a rookie front fast kid. And we go up to him and they're like, "Oh, hey, what's up, man?" And I'm like, "Hey, man, you going? You're you're running a fifty snake off the break, right?" And he's like, uh, no, dude, I'm not running face thing. I'm like, come on, bro. I know the only reason you're on the team is because you're, you know, five foot tall and you're blazing fast. So you're either going to the insert bunker or you're going to the snake off the break. And I got a thousand friends and they all run faster than you can, bro. So try to make that spot. I'm going to smoke you, you know? And it's like, because when we would go up to the older guys back in the day and anyone that wants to go down the YouTube rabbit hole and just YouTube Larry Bird from Boston Celtics, bro. And the shit that this dude used to talk, he would get in people's heads all the time. Mike Jordan, same thing. Like, there's a mental aspect to it, too, which, you know, I'm sure we'll get in this, into it a little bit. But, like, taking a microscope to things, that's what makes it interesting. Because, you know, like, uh, you know, paintball has always had a harsh veneer to it. It's always been, um, and I think that our, over time, like, us trying to make it more palatable to the masses has been a mistake. Because that's not what keeps us here. And, you know, trying to appeal to soccer moms, like, that's not who's buying, yeah, sure, soccer moms, that's, dude, my mom used to run the dance program at UCSD, she's about as, she hates violence, hates guns, and, you know, mid-90s, when I went to her, and I was like, I'm gonna go play paintball, she was like, okay, cool, she probably wanted me to get the hell out of the house, and leave <laughs> her alone, but, uh, but it's like, this is, it's a real thing, you know, so it's, um, yeah, man, it's, there's, it, the, the shit-talking element of it, that, you know, that, that's part of it, too. I'm really curious to hear more about kind of the cultural side of paintball. I know you just mentioned how we, uh, the industry as a whole has tried to make it more appealing to the masses over time. Uh, but those films that we just talked about that you were featured in a lot, uh, they had a huge cultural impact. So tell us 
more about where paintball was culturally, uh, like before all of these different films came out and what kind of impact on the scene overall did they have? Well, it depends on which one you're talking about. That's a pretty broad question. Um, because each one of those instances, you know, whether we're talking about, they're all part of the same conversation, but you know, when push was filmed, that was, you know, late nineties. And then Sunday drivers is early two thousands. A lot of change happened between 1998 and 2003. I mean, we literally, when I started playing professional paintball in 1994 at world cup, that was my first event. And I was 16 years old. We were playing 25-minute games in the woods, and there were 72 10-man teams there. That's, that's where paintball was at, at its pinnacle, the best of the best. Like, as many people as we could get in one place. And then you fast forward, and then now we have, instead of there being 700 and, yeah, let's call it, call, you know, 850, 850 people. Then you go... And then in 20 years, we're playing with, there's like three, 4,000 people at an event, you know, so, and all the different divisions. Um, then you take the actual way the game is played. Huge fields, 10-man, 25-minute games. Then we go to, you know, then seven, then in, uh, then you, then you had Hyperball, which is the, you know, kind of sewer tubes essentially made into a fun paintball field. And then you had Airball come out. So Hyperball gets there like 90, late 96, 97. We didn't really come into it until 98. And then Airball kind of hits at that same time, 99, 2000, Airball. And then X-Ball, 2003, late 2002, 2003, um, which is a timed clock what like we have now. But it was a massive amount of time. I think it was like 20 or 25 minutes per half. Um, and the guns, you know, again, went from, like we discussed earlier, went from pump to 25 balls a second. That all happened in a decade. That happened in like nine years. You know, so we've now had to figure out what we're going to do with this untamable beast and try to sell it to the world. So, again, that's like a six-hour, eight-hour-long conversation, mm -hmm. bro, like 30-hour conversation. So, because there's a lot of intricacies in in each one of those situations, depending on the people, the companies that made these things, the individuals that created these things, the people that played this game, their thoughts on it, how it all went down, the media involved. You know, I mean, there's been because people are always asking me, they're like, "Oh, what, Maddie? When is paintball going to go mainstream?" I'm like, "What does mainstream mean to you? Does that mean the NFL? Does that mean the UFC? Does that mean like what does that mean? Define mainstream to me, because I found out about paintball." by watching it on television in the early to mid nineties. I've personally worked on multiple television shows. We've had countless webcasts. It's been on every, like a shit ton of TV shows and commercials. There's been tons of different video games from different platforms and different creators. We've had, you know, a deck decades now of this existence in the world with thousands of fields all over the world and millions of people that have played it, I'm like, what does mainstream mean to you, bro? So, again, long conversation. Well, uh, kind of taking... Uh, let, let's focus, I guess, a little bit then on uh, specifically Sunday Drivers. Uh, Sunday Drivers was my personal favorite out of the three that I watched. Uh, Wait, hold on. Just real quick. So, I don't mean to interrupt, but... Go ahead. This is interesting. Because, well, you just... 
So you're so you had you seen you just watched Heroes for a day, and then you've but you had seen Sunday Drivers and and Push. Uh, no, I I binge watched all three of them on Saturday. I had never seen any of them, so that was uh, first time viewing for me. Hell yeah! Okay, cool. Well, give me your give me your impressions of it then. This yeah. is interesting. Uh, so for Sunday Drivers, uh, of course, that was the film when I know you were talking about kind of the change in formats over the years. That was uh, when Seven Man uh, and X Ball were kind of side by side at that time. Uh, I felt like at least hold the on. hold on sorry sunday so sunday drivers that was more that was 10 man but seven okay. man was there but seven man was like a european thing europe brought us seven man europe brought us europe brought us a lot of things they brought us hyperball brought us uh super airball or airball and it also brought us seven man but right. sunday drivers was more kind of around um that was 10 man because that was okay let me make sure let me make sure uh i'm going back in my photos that I took. There we go. Just to make sure I'm not mixing up the films just because I watched them all back to back to back. Uh, yeah. See, no heroes for a day. So heroes for a day was, uh, about, you know, transitioning into competing in the X ball format. Um, and the thing that stuck out to me the most was just how like it, at least from our perspective, like none of the, um, you weren't trying to put on a pretty face for the cameras by any means. Uh, like just <laughs> immediately starting off with uh, the conversation in the hotel room about, Hey, these yeah. like all of you guys aren't going anywhere. Uh, but at the same time, like, Hey, we got to figure this out uh, with the, and that conversation kind of repeatedly going up and uh, just how direct and how raw it was. Uh, but the interaction between like you, Rich Telford, all of the other players on that team, uh, but again, that's from the perspective of someone who's been competing for a number of years and who's looking for kind of those changes, those small changes to make, to go to that next level of playing, uh, you know, that might be completely different to someone who has never like gotten into the competition side of paintball or maybe has only ever played rec ball once or twice, or maybe has never even played it. Uh, but for me personally, I felt like that uh, that Heroes for a Day was a, like much more captivating. I don't know if it was because it purely focused on the Sacramento Excesses story, where some of the other films like kind of jumped around between two or three teams. Um, but it it was like getting to learn your story, and I know that uh, Rich Telford was kind of the featured way more in terms of like the later half of that movie and figuring out like, Hey, what the direction of, uh, excessive was, but like learning the stories of absolute legends, like players who were first ballot hall of icons, uh, like yourself, like rich, um, was just like, Oh, why, why don't I know any of this? Uh, like these are some of the top names in all of paintball. And I don't know if it's just because of the, the time gap or if like overall we can do a better job of preserving that history. Um, you're from Texas. Yes. Right? Okay. Are you a sports fan? Yes. What's your favorite sport? Uh, oddly enough, hockey. Okay. How old are you? I'm 27. Turned 27, 27. in February. Okay. So what's your favorite hockey team? Uh, Dallas Stars, and then uh, after that, got to root for Vegas. 
Okay. So in 2013, who were the best players on the Dallas Stars? And tell me everything you know about the drama that unfolded on that team. I couldn't tell you anything. Uh, that was, and that's hockey, right? Mm-hmm. So this is this is a problem because it's not it, it just it's not a it just is what it is. It's not a problem, but this is you know this is kind of my problem because as one of the paintball storytellers and somebody that's been doing this for a long time. This is my twentieth year calling paintball games. My first one was Huntington Beach, two thousand three. So constantly, you know, it's, it's like, uh, I'm just trying to get people to understand how cool a fucking story is, man, you know, and tell the stories, but it's about the amount of stories told and how powerful those stories are. And because an event happens, this thing happens. And if you watched it live and it was really spectacular, then you personally could go to someone and say, man, you see your buddy at work or you talk to your brother-in-law at the barbecue and you're like, dude, unfucking believable what just happened, bro, last weekend. Did you see it? And then he may be like, yeah, I saw it. That was awesome. And if he didn't see it, maybe you sp- sparked a light in one person. Now, if you watch this thing that happened and you wrote an article about it or you did a podcast about it or made a video about it, well, how well of a job that you did bringing to light the drama that actually is secondhand, you know, you're the second step now to bring this thing into the world. And, you know, how well did you do that job of bringing it to light? How cool was it to, to consume that piece of content that you created? How much did it resonate and reverberate in the person's mind so that they're going to concrete that shit in and care enough to tell someone else, you know, become a spoke on a content wheel to make people give a shit. You know, and then take that to every single thing. So if you look at the history of sports, which I'm, you can see all these books here, like I'm a huge history nerd. So, you know, it, it's really interesting how stories and, and the, 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 the fire of an actual real life thing, whether that be in a battle or a company or a piece of politics or whatever, you know, just some crazy human life that, you know, it's like I have some crazy family stories of how I'm even, you know, here, you know, it's like so. You know, the, keeping those stories going and then moving them on. So with sports, it's like with paintball. So this is the, one of the things like the, and why I was so adamant. So like Heroes for a Day almost didn't even happen because when that was going down, we had other creators that were like, hey, we could do a video about you guys that would have been cheaper and way easier to, to you know, to kind of, because Patrick Spore is a fucking genius. And, uh, and, and at that point I'd work with them now. Um, you know, was a subject and push and did the intro for Sunday drivers. And I saw, and then now we were doing serial killers at the same time. So I was working with Pat and I'm like, dude, Pat's the guy we got to tell the story. And then we go to, and then also it's about, um, you know, it's, it's about having access to emotion because if you can't experience, if I can't watch something and experience an emotion in my mind, watching that thing, then I'm not going to give a shit. And that's just the reality of the situation. So with heroes for a day, you know, some of the people on the team were like, oh, well, you know, we could do it cheaper and, and quicker with someone else that wasn't Pat. I'm like, no, nah, dude, it's either Pat or we don't do it at all. And also, if we, and if we do this, everything has to be on the board. No story is untold almost. You know, again, not everything's for public consumption, but like we have to like, let's document this. We're going to live this crazy life and do all this crazy shit and try this thing that we don't know if it's going to succeed. 
Like, we didn't know if we were going to build Excessiva to be a team that could beat Dynasty. It could have crashed and burned. And in the beginning, it definitely looked like it was going to. But you bring that to it, and you're honest with it. And you, and you, and you, you take that into a, a little you know, nugget that you give to the world, and then people consume that. And they either care or they don't care. It's that simple. You know, like, you have to create something that people have a visceral reaction. This is not psychology, it's biology. It's how the brain works. It's literally how the brain is constructed. If you sit there and you've, everyone's been there, anyone that's listening to my voice right now, you know when you're telling a story to somebody if you have their attention or not. Are they looking at you in the eye? Do they care about the things that you're saying? You know, if you stopped and said, what did I just say? Were they checking their phone? Were they checking the girl out at the bar over there? Were they watching the, you know, see the score in the game? Or were they actually listening to and consuming your story? You know, so like that's the type of stuff you have to put out in the world. And when you look at the stuff that has resonated over the years from a story standpoint, that's the stuff that sticks. It's called evergreen content because anyone at any time, because they're a human being, can watch that and they can empathize with it, with it and go, you know what? I can see myself in this, in one of the characters. So we need more of that. And we need more people that are willing to create and have the talent to create those things. So that's what we need. Yep. And I think at least recently, uh, and you're seeing this a lot in Texas, you're seeing more and more of those individuals that are starting to create more and more with the rise of media members like Verbal, for example, who's like at the top of the game now, really, in terms of creating content and publishing it out there, just these little highlight moments of uh, like either awesome plays or core samples or uh you know people overshooting each other on the field uh but like memorable moments like that and just with the rise of so many more media members partly in thanks to like social networks and the shorts format uh kind of getting uh more and more popular i think we're starting to get at least the moments here and there uh but we'll see if that translates into more and more stories cuz uh I think the most recent one that I can remember that did have that impact would be um, BKIT. And I would love to see more things like BKIT coming out on a more regular basis because there's so many awesome stories out there in paintball. But people need to give their support to this. Like it, you have like where money flows, content grows. So if you care about this sort of stuff, then yeah, cons- you know, whatever you need to do to try to give those now it's, it's different. Like so yes, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, but I call it the five fingers of the sports marketing fist. You have heroes. The reason why I call it this is because these different elements are different things. You know, you're talking about highlights or a, bear, a core sample. Like, if anyone's out there, do you remember a core sample that ha- or a highlight from 10 years ago? Like, tell me one highlight that happened 10 years ago. You know, you may remember a story you know, or maybe someone's like LaSoya knocking a dude out, you know, like that, like that, that's the type of stuff that will be evergreen. But people, because of the way our brains are constructed, we remember everything through story. Our entire lives that we tell ourselves, and there are lots of books about this, um, it's all through story. So that's how you captivate the human mind. So the five fingers of the sports marketing fist are heroes history, the ongoing narrative, spectacle, and statistics. And those five elements form a fist to punch you in the face to make you give a shit. And they're all different things. And they all enliven a different part of the brain, but all of those things 
You know, if you look at any solid piece of historical sports excellence, it's encapsulated in certain elements. You know, so it's like when you're looking at, I'm a Padres fan. Tony Gwynn is a god in San Diego. We have a bronze statue to him, at, and rightfully so. And he walks on water out here. And, and the reason why is because when you look at his statistics, they were so good. Was he the flashiest player? No. In his later days, he was very portly. But he was a good dude. He had a great story. He played for San Diego State. He got on the San Diego Padres. He never left the team. He made like 15 All-Star games in a row. He could have gone 0 for 1,900 in the end of his career and still been a 300 hitter. Like the dude was elite of elite of elite. Him and Ted Williams are the best hitters, average-wise, to ever pick up a baseball bat. You know, so that, there's, a, there's different elements. He's a hero. We're talking about his statistics. He came from San Diego. You know, he played for, he was a dual sport athlete at San Diego State. He was an All-American basketball player too, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you're creating content, if you're not thinking about these elements, then you're just throwing shit out into the world and hoping people to love it, th- that they love it. And God bless you. I hope they do. But you got to be, you know, you really kind of have to look at, you know, if you're going to build a house, you need to understand, you know, you need to kind of do some calculations and build a solid foundation. You need to put an amazing paint job on it. The wiring has to work, you know? So again, these are all this different elements to it. Uh, one of those elements that you talked about was statistics. And uh, on this list of questions that I sent you, I'd like to actually skip around a little bit uh, while we're on okay. the subject. So um, with, uh, your current position as the uh, as the voice of paintball, as the main commentator for the NXL, um, one of the things that you are tasked with is kind of bringing up the you know the recent success, the and even a little bit of statistics on your own uh, during the events. So as far as uh, the stats or the information that you have access to when it comes to the NXL events, like is that all you? Do you have a team behind you that's able to provide you with some of those things? And how much, uh, how much research are you doing in preparation for these NXL events? A lot of research. Um, I have a def- we definitely have a team, but the team is more broadcast oriented. Um, I have some, you know, uh, you know, I have a pretty decent list of. Uh, of other people that care that that know things that will text me certain things but as far as the statistical analysis of the situation um that's pretty much all, all on me you know i don't have any interns there's no one helping me with that at the event again other than random texts from like you know quinn and iconic or vincent let's talk paintball or whatever different guys throughout the years used to have a guy named cade when we were at paintball access i had a lot more help with it but it's incredibly expensive to do paintball statistics that still is on the on the, that still is a plan. That's still something that we're at some point in time gonna try to pull the trigger on. I don't have control over that right now, but um, but it is you know again it's it's one of the fundamental important elements because with statistics, you know when I sit there and you know it's like you can say, you know who's the best player ever, uh, and in and in other major sports. We can say, oh, well, you know, if you want to have that conversation in basketball or you're a hockey guy, I'm not a hockey guy. We don't really have a hockey team growing up here in San Diego. Um, but, you know, baseball, football, it's like, well, you know, Tom Brady with the Super Bowls or, 
you know, Dan Marino with his yardage or, you know, it's like as we go through these different discussions or, you know, Ted Williams with the, is it, you know, Barry Bonds, but steroids, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, the, but is this knowledge subjective or is it objective? Is that my opinion? Subjective? Or is it objective? Two and two is four. So with statistics, um, it's important for me to be able to sit there and say, all right, well, you know, Dynasty went first and first at the first two events. At the last event, they were, you know, uh, 29 points, four and 14 against for a plus 15. You know, that's like type of stuff I got to know because it, it, it gives context to greatness or um, context to mediocrity or context to weakness uh, that's objective. You know, so if somebody comes up to me and says, hey, we're underrated or we're not rebuilding or whatever, I can say, all right, well, let's talk about the numbers. Um, unfortunately, we don't have like the level of statistics that, you know, we, we want to get to and that we uh, had before, but that was just lighting money on fire before. That's another thing that paintball does really well is lighting money on fire. But um, yeah, so, uh, so what I'll do, and um, I kind of have an example of it here, you know, so I, I can rattle these statistics off to you. Sometimes I will have them in my head, but because I have to do a lot of shows, I get, I've kind of come up with my own system. So I'll go and rewatch the games and then I will go and look at the, and I'll keep my own, I always keep my own uh, paper. You know, it's like even when you watch Joe Rogan, he does the UFC or, you know, Bruce Buffer. Like they don't have, like they don't read their shit off an of iPad, bro. Like they don't, they have paper notes. You know, so sometimes people will look at my notes, including my wife, she calls them my tweaker notes. But, uh, <laughs> you know, but, it, but people will be like, oh, I could build a spreadsheet for you. I'm like, dude, fuck your spreadsheet, bro. Like I've been doing this for a long time. I have it down to a science. Like I can look, give a glance at a paper and know, you know, what their last, uh, you know, what the last placings were, um, their num number of overall points uh, that they have ranked, their plus minus for the event, who they played, what the score was, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I literally have that on a piece of paper and I just create what looks like tweaker notes, but I've been doing this for a while. So I just can look at it and go, yeah, you know, New York extreme They're, you know, they went fourth and, uh, at the first one and they went undefeated and well, you know, I could just, you know, because it's like that I need, I have to have this information, but there's so much going on all the time that I need access to it quickly. So, um, but yeah, I don't have a lot of help with that. So if anyone wants to intern, hit me up, that'd be great, dude. I would love some help. Stats is something that just amazes me. I have uh, such an interest in it. And actually during uh, the COVID shutdown, just something that I did on my own time was uh, just go and make a spreadsheet of all of the tournament finishes from uh, the current iteration of the NXL. And uh, with the uh, originally the intention was, hey, is there a correlation between sponsors and tournament finishes over X amount of time? Uh, but that... I quickly proved very difficult to uh, obtain the information as far as sponsorships, but it was very interesting to see just the tournament finishes in general and stats such as like in the current iteration of the NXL up until last year, the only two teams that had never missed a Sunday was X Factor and Edmonton Impact. Everybody else had missed Sunday, including Dynasty, including Heat at one point or another. And I uh, just stats like that is cool to have, but it's also just so important. And I understand like with the current framework, how difficult it can be to get those stats and get them accurately. I know a couple of years ago, uh, my fan wagon was doing the kill count tracker throughout the event, which I don't know how they managed to do that, but it seems like a very difficult thing to do, especially tracking kills off the break. Uh, 
but even being able to track simple like what should be simple things like tracking how many points played does a player have and what's their plus minus on the when they're on the field uh those would be just two like kind of baseline stats that would really drive the narrative as far as like players and their impact on the game or like hey when for example when Tyler Harmon is on the field they're you know what's the percentage of Houston Heat getting a kill off the break those stats would be so awesome to have and be able to just grab those narratives and just like make them plain but there's a couple it's a, there's a couple difficult well there's a lot of difficulties there first of all is the money so um yeah so we uh have been in, involved in a lot of different incarnations of sports storytelling and these documentaries and i worked for the magazines and worked with espn and the tv shows and blah 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 but with the stats so when we started paintball access in 2012 i was like we have to have statistics so we spent ten thousand dollars an event Looks like we met, lost Maddie for a quick second. Let's see if we can get him back. Uh, give me just a second, y'all. All right, sorry about that, y'all. Looks like we're back. Uh, Maddie, you, I think the conversation we're, we're having is just about like stats and uh, back in PB Access, you were spending $10,000 an event. Yeah, So, because think about it. Okay, well, we want to do stats. What do we need to do? So we worked our asses off, hired a crew, figured out how we're going to do it, created software, whole deal. And in, we had all these different metrics. It was prohibitively expensive. I mean, some of the webcasts that people are doing at Division, no disrespect at all, but I mean, some of those don't even cost $10,000. Just the stats alone were t- like at least $10,000 an event because to do it the right way, you have to have people on deer stands surrounding the field with the central hub. So you got to build an entire scaffolding. You got to fly like eight dudes out there. You have to have software for it. It's all got to be updated live and pumped to us. And anyway, very problematic and difficult. So, but that's what it took. Um, so we did that for a while. And um, so, you know, that's what we're trying to get back to eventually here. Uh, and I think we can, but it is, it's difficult. And again, it was never kills. It was confirmed kills. But all this stuff does is it just gives the, there's a fascinating book by Malcolm Gladwell called Outliers, and in it he has three different types of people that have basically, you know, through their talents and skills, been able to change the world. And one of those people are mavens. So what we're trying to do when you're creating content is, like, and I'm sure your podcast is this too. There's Texas paint. What is a maven? A maven is somebody that gives a shit. They love it. They're passionate about it. They're, you know, that paintball nerd. Again, there's so many different ways to describe it. But essentially, it's the person that has an, an intense involvement and passion for a specific activity. That's the definition of a maven. And as creators, as prime movers to get story, well, you have the people that are living the story, then we put the story out there. The statistics give somebody ammo to make somebody care about it. You know, so it's like, it's if you're talking, again, I, we don't know really are ever going to know who the greatest ever is. It's always going to be an argument because there are no stat. There are no, you know, yeah, we kept stats for a little bit. And again, we're trying to get back to there, but a lot of it is just the stats of wins. And then it's just, what did you see that guy do? Cause some people will sit there and be like, Oliver Lang's the greatest ever. And then some people are like, no, Ryan Greenspan is. And then some people are like, well, no, it's going to be just again, pick your hero. Right. And then they will go. And then, and then when you ask them to justify that, 
if it's not someone on, if someone's if it's somebody on Dynasty, then they're immediately going to go to just numbers of wins. They're going to be like, dude, Ryan Greenspan's won over fifty turn fifty five tournaments all over the world um, in his twenty years plus playing. And then you know we have this intricate, fun conversation about that, but it's all just it's it's all just opinion, you know. Whereas if you have hard, concrete numbers, an objective measure of greatness with statistics, well, it's a different type of conversation because then we're having a more intricate and complex argument based on actual numbers, you know, whereas now it's just like, oh, dude, I saw him pull off this like insane thing and it's super dope. And you're like, yeah, I mean, that's super dope, but does that make him the best ever, you know? So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fundamental part of it. Again, it's, I think it's going to get back. I, you know, I'm not in charge of it right now, but it's it's something that I'm I'm really excited to see. To be honest, when we can get it, uh, those that information would be great to have. Uh, I know, kind of in the realm of statistics, I think Iconic Paintball recently put out a list of uh, players of all time and their all time wins, all time events played, uh, things like that, which is great to see. But it would, we would love to see more. Oh, uh, hey there, hey, my son just walked in. Monty, say hi to everybody. Hi. Hi. Hi, Monty. Can you say hi, bud? <laughs> this is Monty Marshall. Hi. hi. Say hi to everyone. Okay. Can you go to your mama? <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right so, Sorry. um, no, that's all right. I'm I'm an elementary school teacher for my day job, so I'm perfectly used to that. Uh, so, uh, this next question is brought to us by Airmas PB. Check them out at Airmas PB on Instagram. So, uh, one along kind of the similar lines, uh, one of the more recycled conversations in tournament paintball is about how we should be growing the sport, growing viewership, getting back on ESPN, you know, things like that. So what are one or two things that you think the, either the paintball industry as a whole, or maybe more specific to uh, broadcast or getting stories out? What are something, one or two things that uh, we should be doing to help push us toward that reality? And however you want to define that reality, where you think that reality should be? Yeah. I mean, we've talked already quite a bit about what I think that has to like, you know, because there's a lot of things that can exist. Um, but it, it comes down to, uh, you know, what, what can, what can we actually make exist? And I think the, the most, there's just so many different ways to go with this. First of all, though, I'd have to say that, and you know, getting it on TV is not like we've been on TV, man. Like that's not, that's not the cavalry coming over the hills to save us. I know maybe cause we haven't been on TV in a while, but especially the way that TV is now, like, bro, like the life, like things have changed. Media, the media landscape has completely changed. So getting it on TV is not going to save paintball. Not that paintball needs to be saved again. Well, paintball's looking as good as it's looked since the mid two thousands. Um, if you look at tournament attendance at the really big events, the strength of the regional events, and I mean, it's it's also it's something. Then this is a question I would ask people. I'm like, man, like uh, I love this. Obviously, look at the life I've led, but I mean, how much? Like, it, I also think we have to get back to like. I don't think like look at the UFC. Like the UFC didn't get on you know, on everyone's radar is something that was, became a billion dollar, you know, like there and paintball has, there's a lot of money in like the playing of it and the manufacturers of the stuff and all that sort of shit. But there's, you know, the UFC didn't, didn't reach the zeitgeist of people's attention by being super vanilla 
that's the exact opposite. I mean, if you look at the 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 story for Dana White, so I mean, are you a UFC fan at all? Uh, I was for a little bit, uh, not so much nowadays. So there's a there's a fascinating story based on what we're kind of talking about. Where so Dana White, um, he was being asked why. So that this fighter was being inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame. His name's Stephen Bonner, and Stephen Bonner had a relatively mediocre career as a fighter. But, and most importantly, he fought against Forrest Griffin in the first Ultimate Fighter. And at the time, the UFC was about to go bankrupt. And so they kind of threw their last Hail Mary in the whole like four million bucks or something. And I may be, you know, butchering these statistics, but people can go look up this story because it is a real story. And, uh, and so... So they're asking him, like, why does Stephen Bonner get to be in the Hall of Fame, man? Like, look at his record. It was trash. Again, I'm using statistics. Like, why, why should this guy be in? And Dana White goes heavy with the story. And he goes, look, man, here's the deal. If Stephen Bonner didn't go to war with Forrest Griffin in the final of the Ultimate uh, Fighter finale and then cause us a huge rating spike, it, uh, and those du- these dudes beat each other. I remember I watched it live. These dudes beat each other to hamburger meat. Like, I mean, they just beat the shit out of each other, man. It was an amazing fight. One of, at the time, one of the best fights I'd ever seen. And he's like, if it wasn't for Stephen Bonner, the UFC might not even be here. So I make the decisions, and Stephen Bonner's in the Hall of Fame. And sitting there as a lifelong UFC fan, watching it since UFC 1 when I was a kid, and uh, I was like, hell yeah, dude, he should be in the Hall of Fame. Because there would be no fame for the rest of these dudes, or money, or money for anybody, if that guy hadn't lived that story live in front of people and then put his body on the line to do it and, and lost the fight because Forrest Griffin won that fight. So anyway, um, so paintball needs to be, it needs to exist as the thing that it is. This is an intense thing. The more we meet, the more we look at it as this benign experience that anybody can do. Now, can anyone play paintball? Absolutely. Like, dude, Anyone can play paintball. I mean, especially all with all the variations of ways to play it now. Or some sort of force on force. I mean, hell, you have like Nerf guns and gel, the gel strike guns, which are super fun as entry level. And then 50 cal, like, we didn't have that back in the day. Like, it was grown-ass construction workers and mean-ass old men, 35 years old, cranking their guns up, shooting us, you know, into the ground. Like, that's what we had when I came up. Um, not to be that, like, salty old dude, but it's a, it is an intense thing. It's not going to be for everybody. And so to get random people who will never play paintball be fans of paintball, you have to entertain them. And we're not going to be entertaining them by showing them, you know, uh, a sport that doesn't have some visceral hook to it. Uh, And I'm not saying we have to turn it into the WWE, but if you look at, you know, because people are like, oh, paintball is an extreme sport. I'm like, yeah, it definitely is. It's super crazy, man. You're playing war out there, dude. Like we're gunfighting and it hurts. Um... But in the mid-2000s, you know, when paintball was kind of catching that and money was being pumped into it, and to be honest, lit on fire, no one was making any of this money back. So a lot of people are like, oh, the golden age and this and that. I'm like, do you know how many millions of dollars were lost by people chasing this? Like, it, it's, it's a giant, giant funeral pyre of money that, you know, that was spent on that um, for no return. For not everyone, you know, but for a lot of them. And... Uh, and, and in the meantime, you know, it's like we, you know, it's like half the time dudes can't even argue out there. 
You, like, and I used to fight this fight with the PSP back in the day, now defunct PSP, but for a while it was getting to the point where these refs were like, a dude would get pissed, say, you know, the F word, and then hit a bunker, and he'd, like, get a major penalty. I'm like, what are we doing out here? This is paintball, bro. Like, really going to pull a penalty on a dude for getting mad at himself and punching a bunker and then cussing? Like, does that happen in any other pro sport? No, it doesn't. I mean, I love baseball. I mean, at least a couple times a month, there's like a benches clearing brawl in, in baseball, you know? So again, you have to let it be what it is. You can only take so much away for it from it before either people don't want to play it in its current incarnation. I'm not saying that's what's happening right now. Obviously, there's a lot of people playing it, but we're asking people to watch this and be entertained. So it's an extreme sport. No one's leaving in a stretcher. It's, there's no crazy back, like insane laws of physics being defied by backflips. You know, this is not a board sport. So what do we have? Well, again, this is why statistics are going to be important because we have to have that objective measure of greatness in a skill set that, especially with the way things are going now, you know, we've had these very tactical games, low scoring games uh, for a little bit, which I enjoy watching, but you know, it's like I, even you know, it's like you watch a UFC fight. Well, if some dude just want to show up and watch dudes get punched in the face, and the second it goes to the ground, they get super bored, checking their phones. They don't give a shit, you know. So it's like, well, okay. My question would be like, what do we have to offer to the world? Well, we have really captivating stories. We have to tell those stories because the the actual spectacle itself, even though we love it and we know what we're watching, like, dude, again, where is the spectacle? Like, you watch a car race. You're watching F1. You're watching NASCAR. Watching baseball, dudes getting a, a hundred mile an hour fastball thrown in his head. Dudes are walking out in stretchers, not in stretchers, but they're going to the hospital after they get in the head. You know, so it's like, where's that in paintball? You know, like it, it, again, it used to be so gnarly that dudes would get getting in fights and pushing each other. There was like an emotional element to that, but we've taken that out of the game a little bit. I'm not saying we have to have that back in, but I would ask you, where is the draw? What's the draw? If you're if you were king of ESPN and you look at paintball, what's the draw to you? Like what will we be pushing? Um, I mean, you gotta you gotta either push um like for example, right now in the sport of paintball, um, you could go a couple different ways. Like, for example, you could cover Dynasty's kind of historic run that they're in the middle of. Um, you could be focusing on the other, like more exciting moments, like for example, uh we had two standoffs that happened last in the previous season with uh like Dylan Boyum and then I think there was another one with uh one of the players on Tampa Bay Damage. Um, you know, those those little moments that draw eyes, they draw viewership, they draw clicks. Um but as you know, those little moments would be more of like a hey, this might be good for like a top 10 or not top 10 reel on ESPN. But as far as like drawing in like viewership for the, like the bigger overall stories and not just like drawing eyes, but like keeping people vested, I think you just have to go back to like the overarching stories over the course of a season or multiple seasons, like uh, really focusing in on dynasties run right now or focusing on like, why isn't it working for Diesel with their super team? Uh, things like that. Um, which, granted, I don't, you know, I don't have any insight into the industry or like, uh, like doctrines behind those, uh, like drawing in viewership or creating storylines. But uh, for me, and granted, again, this is like from someone already in the scene. Uh, how to draw people from completely outside of the scene? It would just like 
hey, give me give me someone to care about and give me why I should care about them. 100%, bro. That's what I'm talking about. But the other issue is that sometimes, you know, so it what we have to do is because paintball doesn't have a car crash and and we may think because we love the game that you oh run through that could be a car that's not a car crash that's not a car crash i'm sorry it's not it's not so let's just agree that it's not and move on um that's gonna uh, have a, a certain effect on people that love the game um the only way we can go with this we have to get statistics back and we have to Cover teams that will have literally, like, as again, not everything's for public consumption, but as much as possible. And those people would have like a camera crew with them, and then we would have some sort of ongoing narrative that you could follow. That's the way forward. We have to do that. And again, you know, it's like, this is not, this isn't rocket science, dude. Like, this is just, it's, you're literally being like, yeah, dude, Heroes for a Day was dope. Yeah, why? Because we had a camera guy following us around like the entire time. And we were, and we just were, were totally okay with letting the dirty laundry get out there. Oh, dude's crying. Cool. That's what it is. All right. We got to, you know, fight for your spot on the squad. Cool. And I mean, even working on that project too, I mean, like there was a, like, that could have been an amazing, like docu-series. We had to turn it in just with the way that media worked back then. We had to turn it into like a two and a half hour long movie that at the time people were like, oh, it's too long. Well, people are still talking about it 20 years later. So it must have worked out. So that's what I'm saying. It's like all of the stuff that people have come to me and been like, Maddie, this was dope. This was awesome. Good job. Whatever that may be over the years, whatever it was, it always is. It, it has some sort of realistic, emotional microscope to the moment. It has an artistic way of bringing that moment to light. And those that combo is again an evergreen piece of content because it resonates because people it makes people give a shit dude because it's real you know so it's like we have 20 pro teams and there's 200 ish pro players and they're and and i spend my all a lot of my time this is what i do you know like I, i'm like hey this is amazing please listen well we only have so many resources you know so it's like but that's you know that's kind of that would be the next step that's the next step you know because people are like we need an f1 we or you know we need a you have to survive yep you know we need something like that, right? And I'm like, okay, cool. Well, first of all, that cost a shit ton of money to make, which, you know, again, um, you know, we could do something low budget for it, but it's like, you know, sometimes you'll have conversations with like a somebody that owns a company and they'll say, oh, you know, I want like Red Bull type marketing. I'm like, okay, well, are you willing to spend 50 to 60% of all of your revenue on marketing? Oh, you're not? Okay, then, well, what conversation are we having then, bro? Like, you're not going to... What are we talking about? Like, there, I love that it's you know, this is having worked with a lot of these different producers and people that have created things over the years. Um, I think it was the uh, 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 it was a TV show called The Network, but it was like the Jane Fonda was playing the person that owned um, the media conglomerate, you know, that were billions and billions and billions of dollars are at stake. And she's having this conversation with the 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 anchor who was having a, you know, like a moment of Christ, moral crisis. And he's like, no, we need to talk about this, this, and this. And she's like, did you ever hear the story about Moses and Jesus playing golf? And he's like, no. And he's like, well, have you heard this story before? Nope. So, you know, do you play golf at all? 
No, I, unfortunately, okay, cool. I've not been uh, blessed with a good back to be able to do that lately. But so I, I didn't start playing golf till I was older, but it and I hated it when I grew up because I thought it was boring. But it's incredibly difficult. It's actually probably, arguably, the most difficult thing to do from like a sports standpoint, which is ironic because the ball is literally sitting at your feet, laughing at you. Like you should be able to make an athletic swing to hit this ball to to make it go where you want to go, but. But it, but this is a telling story because in this you have Jesus and Moses and Moses gets up and he puts his ball down and he hits a nice little shot there and it hits on the green and he's like close to a birdie. Jesus gets up and he hits his ball and it goes into this river and then a fish picks it up and the fish swims the ball down and then a hawk comes by and grabs the ball and then he lands it and then a snake comes out and he pushes the ball and it drops in the hole. And Jesus looks at Moses and goes, what do you got now? You know, hole in one. And Moses looks at Jesus and he says, are we going to fuck around? Or are we going to play golf? So that's my question. You know, it's like, are we fucking around? Or like, we playing golf, dude? Because if you're playing golf, you're not kicking the ball with your foot. You're not dropping it over here. Like, it's hard, dude. It's really difficult because you have to play it where it lies. You know, no matter what happens, no matter no matter what the situation is, raining, it goes on a tree, like you got, you're fucked, dude. If you're in a bad spot, you got to make it happen. And so that's kind of my question, you know, is that having done this with so many people throughout the years, and it's so easy to sit on the sidelines and be like, we should do this and we should do that and we should do this and we need this and we need this. And when, you know, it's like, and I'm not saying you're doing that, but because you're, you're, you have a podcast, you're telling stories, mm. you know, you're part of the, you're part of the solution. So my question is like, are we going to fuck around? Are we going to play golf, man? You know, like, are we going to, do we want to tell some stories? Let's tell some stories. If you're on a pro team and you want paintball to be bigger, well, guess what? We have to have a camera in that meaning when you're weak and you're losing and you're, and you're crying, you know, and your life is in shambles because your girlfriend just left you, you know, you have no money in the bank account and you're stoked to get the uh, gun to sell, you know, why? Because that's a fascinating story. And people will always remember your struggle. And they will look back 20 years from now and be like, dude, that was amazing. I mean, there's a story with, with Heroes for a Day where, you know, we went and did the, the screening. And I brought Nicky Cube up. He was my roommate at the time. And I love Nicky Cuba. And he watched himself crying in that meeting. And we drive back and he's like, Daddy, I don't know if I want that in the, in the video, you know. Like, I don't know if I want that in. And I was like, he's like, because that's a moment of weakness. And I, and I had said to him, I understand, but you got to, at the end of this, you know, this is two years after that had happened and he becomes the hero. And I said, you have to understand, man, if you let us put this in the movie, you will not only will be a hero to the people that watch it at the time, but for, an, for generations of paintball players, because they're going to be able to go back and see you have that moment of weakness and then become one of the most clutch dudes to ever play the game in that time period. Like between 2006 and late, like 2009, Nikki was first, you know, one of the first guys out for every team he played, helped Ironman win a bunch of tournaments. So he literally turned his entire game around from being the least clutch guy and the guy that we could not count on because he would do dumb shit and die early by being too aggressive and not thinking through things. And he ended up being the most clutch dude and that defined his career. Because at the end, you could always count on Nikki Cuba to hold it down. You know? And we saw that and in any movie that you watch, there's a three-act structure. And you can see the hero change. And if you can't see the hero change in a real-life thing, then you will, it will not have the same emotional effect. And we could, there was other stories we could have told. 
but that was the most powerful one. So that's where we went with it. And, you know, God bless Nikki Cuba that he was willing to have a personal moment in public and give that to the world, you know? Mm. And so, and then we need more of that because most people don't want that. Most people don't have the strength to do that. So that's what I'm saying. Are we going to fuck around or are we going to play golf? You know, like, are we going to, are you going to be willing to, can we put a camera in your meetings? Or are you going to be like, oh, we can't talk. No, I turned the camera off. Can't talk about this. Like, if paintball wants to be big, if we want more people to care about paintball because we don't have car crashes and we don't have people doing double backflips over stuff, we need more of that. And I Absolutely. need more creators that are willing to do that. And I need more pro players that are willing to have access to that. That's what we need. I think that uh, we're we're starting to get back to that. I wanted, I do think that one team that uh, has actually done a better job in kind of uh, moving us closer towards that is Austin Notorious, the newest pro team. Uh, they recently had, uh, I think, part one of a, I, I believe it's a multi-part series that's uh, going to be coming out in uh, collaboration with Max or with Virtue, um, where they're covering kind of their story. One of the things that they covered was, hey, what, you know, who was Diego Soto, who was this player that was so important to them uh, that came up with them in their divisional ranks and then tragically passed away two years ago. Um, and being able to cover those stories, like it moves us closer towards like giving us the people to care about. And uh, one of the conversations I was having with Matt, the gym rat a couple of weeks ago was how do we, you know, how do we draw these storylines? How, what can teams do to, I. Uh, kind of get their own stories out, give us more people to care about. Cause as it stands right now, as far as like, and let alone storylines, just like teams putting out anything at all. Uh, you've got notorious. You've got Ronnie D's on with the D's on docs. You've got, uh, the spick and span show. You've got play the game podcast. And then like you can, you can say BKIT, but even that was, several years ago like other than that you're not really seeing anything coming out from the teams and like watching like all, all we get is what's on what's on the field for the go sports broadcast and i would love to care about more of these teams yeah i mean we've been trying to do you know we had defining moments and it's just tough to put that's the thing like dude also heroes for a day that took like two and a half years to make dude like it's re this is what i'm talking about like are we fucking around playing golf like it, it's really hard and it takes a certain type of talent to put out really good content. And to do that with any sort of speed or regularity is incredibly difficult, especially if it's story-based content that's like, like that's hard. Um, so yeah, but I mean, anything's better than nothing, you know? Mm. So, uh, and do, and God bless everyone that's doing all this stuff now. And I honestly, I really do truly think, and if, and I feel that this is, you could back this up by what we're seeing is that, you know, I mean, again, COVID with people like, what are we going to do? You know? So Ryan and Kyle Spick are like, Oh, well, let's have a podcast. And then, you know, and, and it's, it's super fun. And then you have Marcelo and Tyler, and then you have, you know, Carl Markowski has been doing his thing. You're, you're on episode 50. And then all of a sudden, I mean, bro, I've been here for a long time. This is my 20th year, just calling paintball games. I've known all the media people for 30 years, you know, cause I was on the pro teams before that, you know? So it's like, this we I've never seen this many vibrant individuals coming up to me like Maddie, let me talk about this and let me talk about that and what do you think about this and I'm like this is overwhelming but also great you know so um, I do think we are heading into a bit of a golden age for content but again 
my challenge is to the creators is that try to find subjects that are willing to give you access. You know, because when I sit down to, with like a, I, and I've, you know, we've done a ton of shows with our, uh, you know, um, Go Sports Live and interviewed a ton of people. We have like 150 shows, but, you know, it's like, when I sit there with Patty Gleason, it's like, dude, I mean, Patty's talking about his former drug use and being an addict, and now he's this fitness guru, and it's like, what a fascinating story, dude. Like, you're an asshole if you're not a fan of Patty Gleason. You know, like, I, I, it's such a fascinating story. So I would just say, yeah, man, the more people that are creating really cool stuff and taking a microscope to the emotional side of things and then giving that to the world, because the paintball stuff's there. Obviously, you have to capture all that. But that's the easy part. You know, going out to the field and getting those angles, like I think so much emphasis is put on like getting this super dope slow-mo you can put in a reel. Again, that's awesome. It's needed. But that's just one part of the fist that we need to get people to give a shit. You know, we need we need more. We need more stories. We need more people that are willing to tell their stories, honestly. You know, and it's like, it's just hard though. I've been there, man. It's very, it's a, it's a humbling thing when you fail and there's somebody there capturing that failure. You know, but... But that's life, dude. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I mean, it's, you know, one of the things I love about paintball is how hard it is. You know, like, I grew up playing baseball. I played football too in high school a bit and then, uh, and then fell in love with paintball. But baseball is really difficult. If you can do, if you can do the thing you're supposed to do at bat well, three times out of 10, three times out of 10, three, you know, 300, you'll be in the Hall of Fame and you'll be making $25 million a year. You know, like that's how hard that is. Um, and so paintball is also difficult because unless you have played in San Diego Dynasty for the past 20 years, those wins are rare. Mm. I mean, ask Damage how rare a win is. Ask Heat right now how hard it is to win a paintball tournament. It's at, at the professional level. Ask any of the divisional shit fit. It's so impressive with what you guys do in Texas, um, which we should probably get to before I got to go. But oh, yeah. Um, you know, it's it's really, really hard to win a paintball tournament. It's hard. It's humbling. This is a difficult thing. You know, it, it, a lot of times in paintball, when you do the right thing, you get punished physically. You know, you may make the right move and get shot 15, 20 times. Uh, and you'll do it again the very next point. You know, so there's a specialness. There's a certain special thing that exists in that, not, you know, that little beat of time. And so that's awesome. But... But that's not enough, man. You know, like, mm. that's just part of it. Uh, and so we have to do extra work with paintball because we don't have knockouts. In the UFC, you know, when you watch that or any mixed martial arts thing, that's why jujitsu is not as popular as mixed martial arts because no one walks out on, a, no one leaves on a stretcher. No one's getting knocked unconscious. You may get choked unconscious. But at the high level, that just doesn't happen that much. Um, that's why people, a lot of people watch, you know, car racing, but, you know, you innately want to see the gory reality of that anyway. But so we have to work extra hard as, as uh, paintball media people because, and those stories have to be told. That is the only way forward. And anyone that wants to argue with that with me, please give me some more information. Like what, what else on our spectacle can we cover that would, you know, get it to be more popular because I just don't see how that is going to work. We get, we've changed the format. We've had three man, five man, seven man, 10 man, woods ball, Hyperball, Airball, you know, we've done timed things, we've done race two, we've done, like, we can change the format all we want, 
But at the end of the day, if you're not telling a human story that people give a shit about, then no one really wants to watch because no one's hitting a ball 450 feet. No one's getting knocked unconscious. Cars are not cartwheeling down the asphalt. Like, where's the spectacle? You know, is it a dude diving into a bunker? Is it a lane being shot in slow motion? Is it a dude being shot 15 times? Like, that's not the same type of spectacle. It's not, you know, no, the death is not prevalent in that, in that conversation. Death is prevalent in these other conversations. So we have to work harder on a story standpoint to get people to give a shit. For sure. And anyone that wants to argue, I'll argue, let's argue, <laughs> but give me some information, you know, like, please enlighten me as to what I'm missing. Cause I, I don't know what it is. Oh yeah. Uh, for anybody who's looking for a story, um, I strongly suggest, uh, going back to, uh, an episode that I did with Jaron Sherman of Austin Notorious, and he laid his whole story out. Uh, like some of the things that he talked about was like, you know, selling everything and moving to Oregon so that he could uh, start his own hemp farm. And then how that business, like he started subleasing it to another tenant who had secretly like not told him about losing their uh, license and then getting raided by the FBI. So he goes back to this uh, property that he's, you know, put his whole life savings into and it's completely trashed. So like just stories like that, uh, that's, that's one I will recommend for anybody who's looking for a story, especially for someone in the pro division right now. Oh, that's amazing. You got me like, holy shit. I want to know what happens next. You know, like how, do, how does he do, you know? So that's, because again, we're human, man. Like that's a human story. That's fascinating. So for sure. When you got to dive more into that, that's something that's key. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, and I'm jaded because I love I love watching dudes shoot paintballs at each other. I think it's super fun. Um, I do enjoy just I you know wake up Sunday morning, stoked to see how it all turns out. So, and but but it's also fascinating because it's like, and I've told this story on different podcasts before too. But it's just the way it is. I mean, my wife she loves me, and you know, God bless her for her support, you know, and letting me do paintball and stuff. But I mean, it is my job. But but at the same time over the years, you know, she doesn't really not going to like watch paintball games, but she'll be like, Oh, how, you know, how did dynasty do, you know? Oh, <laughs> how's, uh, how's thunder doing? You know? Cause we went up to uh, map Chim's wedding and she met Corey. So she'll just be like, Oh, how's Corey doing? How's the team? What team is he on now? Oh, he's on the Ironman. How are they doing? You know, like she has an emotional vested interest in certain individuals, uh, over time. And, um, I remember, you know, another Nikki Cuba story, but, uh, the one of the first twenty four sevens that happened uh, was a HBO show to hype the fight between Floyd Medwe Mayweather and Ricky Hatton. Uh, they were both undefeated at the time, and uh, I was super stoked to watch watch this documentary because I love boxing. And so uh, show up at you know at the time like Nikki Yosh, Indian John, like a bunch of Dynasty guys that lived there, and Nikki lived there with them. Skinny Kevin, I think, lived there at the time. So I roll over to watch this documentary, and at the time, Nikki's girlfriend was like. She's like, oh, hey, Maddie, what's up? How you doing? I'm like, oh, good. She's like, what are, you, what are you coming over for? I'm like, oh, we're going to watch this cool documentary. You should watch it. It's about boxing, and it's you know, Floyd Mayweather and Ricky Hatton. He's an English guy, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, oh, I hate boxing. I would never watch that. I'm like, okay, cool. Didn't give it a second thought. Go in. We watch the first episode of it. I leave. Now, fast forward about a month and a half later, and I go to the bar to you know pay my $20 to watch the fight with the other 300 people coming in to pay $20. Why are they paying those $20? Well, about to find out because here comes Nikki's girlfriend. And I'm like, 
the hell are you doing here? You hate boxing. And she goes, yeah, I hate boxing, but I just really want to see Floyd Mayweather get his ass kicked. And I was like, <laughs> oh, she watched the story and now she has an emotional vested interest. And even though she hates boxing, why is she here paying $20 to get in with the other flock of people coming in to pay $20 for the story? That's why people pay money. They pay money for a story. So we have to go that route, bro. You know? Absolutely. Uh, and I, I do want to kind of get back to your story as a player uh, before we kind of wrap things up here. So uh, as a player, um, and I know we talked about all of the different formats that we've been through over the years, 10-man, 7-man, X-ball, uh, you know, race of two, time formats, 25-minute halves. Uh, for you personally as a player, did you have a favorite format to compete in? And what was it that made it your favorite? Um... all fun in different ways and to be honest my my favorite way to play paintball is not uh any of the competitions um i did that because i wanted to seek out a certain level of uh of adventure you know i wanted to play the best in the world and i want to see how good i could do but I'm like, uh, if you're asking what my, what my favorite thing to do is in paintball, it's to, you know, load up my autococker with as much paint as I'm willing to carry out into the woods and go play a big game that's between, uh, ideally we want to have like maybe 250 on 250, maybe a little bit bigger. Um, because to me that's like, uh, and the metaphor I use for this is that it's like a, surfer surfing a big wave so it's like when you're really good at paintball and you go into a big game it's the different level of experience you know it's like yeah i can like dig out well not maybe not anymore because i'm fat and old but like <laughs> you know you dig out to a corner and you dive into a spot and jump up or slide into a spot and now you're locked into a gunfight with this one guy and then you got to rap put him in a wrap around and shoot one more dude you know it's like and there's five on five that was cool because it was very distilled and that one guy that I'm gunfighting is one of the best in the world. And if I can beat him in a gunfight and put him into his bunker and wrap around and shoot his boy without him knowing, like, all right, cool. That's, that's a good day. That's a good point. So there's a certain level of fulfillment in that risk versus reward situation. But I'd done that for a long period of time in my life. So um, I started, you wanted to seek out like different types of fights. And, you know, even like I'd never really played. I played a lot of woods ball growing up because that's where the best played. But then I started actually um, getting sponsored. I was sponsored before the Great Recession. I was like sponsored by Smart Parts and whatever. I was like barely getting enough to like kind of go. And I was going to start this website. And again, this is like pre uh, before these all these companies went out of business. But um, so I started playing these big games and it was just so pure, bro, because it's so, so fun because you can go out and shoot 50 people, bro. Like, that's not an exaggeration, you know? So it's like, if you have, if you and 10 dudes are really good, you can literally go out and take on a hundred. Like we did this one game one time where it was like 10 on a hundred at a, some castle place in the East coast. And I mean, that's still to this day is one of the most memorable. It's like Oliver, me, Nikki, Mr. Yeah. Mr. You was there. I think Alex, Alex Frazier was there. Like, we had this, like, lion's den, like, straight murderer's row of 10 that we had, maybe had 12. And it was against 100, you know? So, it's like, once you've done 
a certain level of accomplishment. It's like, what's next? So yeah, I mean, I literally could sit here and tell you like, dude, the t I love 10 man, 10 man, so pure too. I loved playing uh, X ball too, because it was so hard, you know, because it, you know, it was, it was very, very, very intense. So, I mean, it's, it, you're, I mean, you're just like mainlining the paintball experience <laughs> in, you know, playing, um, you know, playing X ball as it's, as it is now. These are all different types. This is why I always say when we do shows, I'm like, hey, any, you know, whatever you're doing with paintball, you're welcome and have a good time. There's so many different ways to do it. One-on-one -on -one to 4,000 on 4,000, you know, or however many you can get. And I've been on some of those, like, you know, big games where there were 4,000 people out there. Got a lot of crazy stories there, too. So, I don't know, man. They're, they're all different levels of special. It just... uh no, so it, I know that's not really like a committed answer. I would probably, if I had to pick one format to play forever, it would be 10-man. Um, just because, I mean, even if you're playing 10-man on an airball field, it's, there's just more to it. It's, uh, you know, are we playing chess with five pieces each? Or are we playing chess with 10 pieces each? So mm. that was, uh, as somebody likes to think about the game and like put the puzzle pieces together as it was being played... It was uh, it was just more fun because there's more variables to it, and it was more exciting. So, I would have to pick ten man. I but I had some really intense experiences playing X ball in its origin years, and then um, and then seven man sweet because it's like a nice mixture between the two. But this is a problem, is that this is this is a problem paintballs had. It's like oh well, what's the format, you know? But they're all they're all sweet in different ways, man. For sure. And I mean, big games are just as valid of an experience. Uh, I have, that's one thing that I have not been able to check off just yet. Uh, but I've always heard stories and definitely something that I need to go to, especially because we have one, uh, you know, here in Texas with uh, Greg Pauly's field. So it definitely would be an experience to go to. Uh, so yeah. you got to do it the right way, though, bro. Like you, the whole point of a big game is. You got to go with some good friends and some good paintball players and then run as a crew. Try not to go out, like try to wait. Even if you have to come back and wait for them to come back, like wait and then go out together because it's so easy to get lost in a big ass, huge fight. And then you won't have as much fun with your buddies. And also you won't have as much effect on what the game is. Um, and then also, you know, which I mean, it's not like, Again, it's not rocket science, but you would all like because like the general would come up sometimes as we came in. They're like, "Oh, Maddie, we need you to go and get this box over here or do this because we need these points." And I'm like, "No, bro. Like, where's the biggest fight? <laughs> like, we're going towards like where's the front? That's we want to go to the front so you can hear it almost like you can hear it in the in the distance. You're like, oh, that it sounds like it's going off over there, and then just go right into the biggest fight you possibly can in a place that where there's movement, which is why certain fields on the big game thing." Like uh, Hell Survivors and um, like SE Village is good because there's a lot of stuff you can do there, uh, different types of terrain, and they have different fields in Southern California. Um, Hell Survivors in Michigan was amazing because there was so many, like that field's been there for 30 years, so they built up so much stuff. Like when you can make small moves, you know, 10, 20 people can destroy 150, 200 people, like legit, and it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. Um, one-on-one's pretty cool too. Like Hormesis and, uh, they're doing a one-on-one -on -one tour here this summer and been working with Oliver talking about that for a little bit. And, um, 
That's a cool thing too. And the way that they're doing the joust is mm-hmm. so they have like the duel and then have you heard about this at all? Yes. And I'm actually signed up for both the joust and the duel uh, when it comes to paintball fit. Dude, you're going to love it. So it's still new. So we're kind of, I'm trying to see how it's going to play out, but I, I just love the concept of the joust. And uh, I sat in my backyard with Oliver and we kind of talked through the joust last year and what it should look like and kind of the vibe of it. Cause the duel is, the duel is, uh, you know, the duel, the duel is, it's a duel, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you got a gun and I got a gun and who's the best? The joust is a bunch of duels within the framework of like a bigger fight where you're supposed to get involved as like a fan of your buddy that and your teammate that's going out there. So you have like a teams of like, it could be up to 50, it could be 30, it could be 10, it could be five, whatever. But, you know, and then you got a general or a coach you know, but we're calling them the general. And then the general is deciding, you know, playing the chess match essentially. So as the soldiers, you got to just like wait for your turn and get out there and win when you can. Uh, and so it's kind of interesting. I'm interested to kind of see how that ends up playing out because that's an interesting spin on like a teamwork version of a one-on-one. And, you know, Oliver's awesome and a genius. So that's, this is going to be super sweet to see, but everyone should make it out if you can to one of those. Yeah, for sure. Uh, definitely looking forward to it when it comes, uh, I think, uh, the one at paintball fits the end of July. So, uh, hope to, you know, have some fun playing in that. Uh, I was a little bit sad that I had missed out on the, uh, the ultimate shootout when go sports was at fit, uh, two years ago, or I guess three years ago now. Uh, yeah, two, two and a half years, something like that. It was in between yeah. Vegas and Cup and in the, like, it seems like the one summer where the weather was actually a little bit more manageable. It wasn't in the 120s like it sometimes is, like it might be this summer. Well, COVID gave us, well, at least the world gave us a little bit of a break. Yeah, I did drive out to Texas twice for that from San Diego because we didn't know what we were going to do with COVID. And I mean, there's been a ton of, you know, one-on-one's not, there's lots of different ways to do one-on-ones. Um, but I do think that, that like a well-run one-on-one league could be very beneficial to the sport of paintball, uh, which, is, which is what Oliver would like to achieve with the duel um, and with the joust. So I'm pretty excited about that. And I, I think it's going to be, I mean, it's going to be fun and it's going to be challenging um which is the whole point we do this you know it's mm. why i mean that's kind of like why i do love the hormesis dudes and kind of the, the whole concept because i mean you know it, it's like uh you know i've always hated the name paintball just because like yeah we shoot balls filled with paint at each other but that's not really what this is mm. you know like it that's just a description of the bu- that you know of the bullets or the projectiles that we use to you know, to, to do this thing. Um, I always thought something like battle ball would be more appropriate because that's kind of what it is. And so with like the concept of hormesis, again, I don't own the company, but these are my good friends and I do respect what they're doing. Um, but that's the, that's the gift of the game. You know, you go do something really difficult and you learn a lot about yourself and about other people and you create a very harsh, you know, and sometimes hellscape almost for your mind, but only for a very brief amount of time. Um, and because you, you know, most people lose a lot more than they win. And again, it's very, you know, it's a very hard place to be mentally. 
And so what does that do? It builds resiliency into humans and we need as much of that as we possibly can in this day and age. So yeah, dude, like, I think it's going to be cool. Oh yeah. Uh, definitely looking forward to it. Uh, real quick. I see a lot of people in the chat giving uh, some love. Uh, yeah, Colt Roberts just came into the chat not too long ago. He says the man, Maddie Marshall Colt. Uh, thank you again for all of this, man. Uh, it's been a blast so far. So, uh, Maddie, um, this next question is brought to us by FU athletics, which is one of my teammates, Thomas, who's also on the Texas Titans does athletic wear and donates back to cancer research with all of his purchases. So, uh, Go to thefuathletics.com, use code INTHEPITS25 for 25% off of your order. So throughout all of your different uh, moments in your playing career, do you have a single favorite moment? Yeah, I think it would have to be, uh, you know, even though I didn't have to do much in this game. Um, but who cares because of what happened? But yeah, I think when we won in 2000, because uh, no one had ever won the series title and the World Cup at the same time. That had never been done. Um, it's been done since. But uh, when we were with the Ironman, you know, and I re- kind of just kind of, you know, reflecting through the moment now in my mind, um, and kind of that whole day. But yeah, so... I think winning winning the series title and the World Cup in when we just beat the brakes off Aftershock in that last game and Oliver shot like six dudes. I didn't even have to shoot anybody. It was great. Uh and uh and and I always had always had said I was like it would it would be really cool to win the series title and win the World Cup and know that you won it so that you can celebrate on the field as it actually happens and you know that that's what went down. So I got to do that. So that was pretty tight. Um, so that would probably be my favorite moment. Oh, Jesus Christ, dude. There's a lot of really good moments. Yeah, I'm winning, sure you have plenty winning, to choose winning from. With Joy Division, winning with Joy Division in Europe was dope because at the time, no one was bringing American mercenaries over. And Maggot Iris, the dude who uh, ran Joy Division at the time, had hit me up after we won that title. And for the next year, he was like, hey, what do you think about bringing over... You know, you come over and then bring like two Ironman players and we'll bring you guys over each event. He's like, I still got to talk to Di and work it out from like the sponsorship standpoint. But what do you think? And I was like, that's genius. I would love to come play in Europe and, you know, do that. So um, and then we ended up winning Brighton Beach. So that was a pretty cool moment, too. Yeah, there's a lot of good ones, but those would be the two uh, just off the top of my head because we weren't like we were supposed to win with those dudes. And then after that, uh, that kind of set a precedence because then now it became a thing to import mercenaries to, to Europe. And now you can't do that really anymore other than like one dude. Mm. Um, so that was kind of a game changer. So that was rad to be part of those two game changer things. Oh yeah. And along those lines of favorite moments, how about some of the favorite uh, people that you were around during your playing career? So tell me about who are your favorite teammates to play with on your team? And then who were some of your biggest rivals on the field? Oh, it's not a fair question because it's a fair question, but I mean, there's just so many names. Um, well, two of the guys along the way that have been really good teammates and, and antagonists at some point in time um, were Davey Williamson and Todd Martinez. Um, just because I started, I played my first day of paintball with Davey Williamson. 
Um, and he hasn't played in years, so maybe some newer people don't know who Davey is. Um, but I grew up with him. I knew him since we were 12. He was one of the best men at my wedding. So, you know, it was kind of cool to go through the experience. Uh, and we played on different teams sometimes. Um, so, you know, that was, that was kind of, that was kind of cool. And then, uh, I mean, I've known Todd Martinez since he was, you know, 14 or 15 years old. The very first time that, you know, you know, Todd, right? Oh yeah. You met Todd? Yeah. And, so, and it seems like it, one thing was funny, like having gotten to meet him in person a couple of times was watching, uh, the documentaries and looking at him now, it seems like he hasn't changed a bit. Oh man. He's the same dude, dude. He's just older, a little bigger, but, uh, He's a he, Todd was a freak athlete when he was a kid. Like he was so athletic. So how I met Todd Martinez was, um, I'd, I and this is just this has been a theme for a long period of time in paintball. I typically like the really the greats. Like if you're gonna be if you're not like in my direct area, I'm gonna hear about you before I, kn- I meet you or I see you. You know because that's typically how it works. And even in this area, I had heard about Todd before I met Todd. When he Todd was like 14, 15. And then he played on this uh, junior Marine team. Um, and so it was, you know, like an, we didn't have, uh, it was an amateur team at the time. We, you know, divisional team. You know, we didn't have, there wasn't a lot of divisions back then. It was basically you were pro, MA, or AMB. So he was like coming up AMB, but as a, like a teenager. And then um, our young Navarone group, uh, by that time, you know, a couple years in, uh, we had made a name for ourselves. You can ask Todd about this, but we had, you know, we were like, all right, well, we're the young kids in Southern California. Like, this is our area. Um, if you want to run game, let's go. You know, if you want, you know, if you want to be the best, like, let's go. You know, we, we want to be the best. We want to play on one of these top teams and we want to win a world title. Like, that's what we're trying to do. So Todd knew that. And, uh, and so we needed a, a, a we needed a guy. And we were short a guy at the end of practice. And I went over and I saw all these you know, young kids sitting on this little hill. And I walk over to these kids and I'm like, hey, uh, we need a dude. Uh, Tim Kobayashi can't, you know, run. it was like one of this blazing fast uh, Japanese dude I grew up with. Uh, Tim was great. Um, and I was like, hey, Kobayashi can't go. We need a dude. Like, who, can, who wants to go? And all these kids were intimidated and looked to the ground, looked to the sky. Todd didn't flinch a bit. He looked, looked me right in the eyes and he was like, I can go. I was like, he's like, let's go. And I was like, okay. I was like, and I had heard, I was like, what's your name? He's like, Todd. I was like, okay, cool. And I heard about him and I was like, Hey, you fast? I knew he was fast. And he's like, I'm like, he's like, yeah, I'm fast. I'm like, are you as fast as him to my buddy, Tim Kobayashi? He's like, I'm not as fast as him, but I'm really fast. I was like, okay, you're going to run all the way up here off the break. Big ass 10 man woods ball field, like 1996. And I'm like, you're going to shoot that way. And Todd didn't miss a beat blazing fast, ran up there, shot a bunch of dudes that's how I met Tom Martinez. And I was like, okay, this kid's not scared. He's super fun. And so then that's how we became friends. So yeah, love Tom Martinez. Um, so, but I mean, dude, Rich Telford has been a, a huge ally. Um, he was, you know, we butted heads a lot because, but that's how the sausage sausage is made is that you mm-hmm. have two people that look differently at things, but are willing to engage, engage each other in, into like hardcore conversations about things. And so, uh, so yeah, Rich has been, Rich has been awesome. Um, pretty much everyone that's played on dynasty, uh, over the years, Michael McLaughlin back in the day, dude, I could go on for hours, but, um, I mean, it's, it's been fun to, it was fun to be there playing. I got all over Lang's rookie season. Like I was all over Lang's back player in his rookie season. You know, that was dope. 
Um, that was kind of fun to watch. Uh, it was cool. Yosh Rao. Mm. Yo- Yosh has a special story too because when Yosh first came up, you know, a lot of those kids were getting names for themselves in in California, and uh, and we had heard about how good Yosh was, but you know, he didn't have that same clout that some of these, like the Ryan's and Alex and Oliver's did, and and he, and he was just as good back then. He was just a different type of player, and so when he got on the Ironman, it was really fun to watch him blossom as a, as a human and as an amazing, like an elite level paintball player in front of my eyes. You know, I was just like, wow, this, this Yosh Rao dude is an intellect and he's really good. Um, we went to London actually, was it London? I think it was London. And, uh, and he was just running around shooting people. He played on joy division that year in 20, uh, in 20, in 2001. So yeah, dude, I don't know. I could go on forever. There's been a lot of, uh, a lot of awesome, awesome dudes over the years a lot of got a, got a lot of interesting stories with a lot of the uh a lot of these dudes oh yeah i mean just watching the films even even then i was like wait this is like some of the greatest of all time names that are in these films all together at once so i'm sure you've got plenty to choose from how about rivals though do you have any uh like notable rivals over your career lasoya was always a big rival um I mean, Lasoya was a, a force of nature back in the day. Yeah, that dude was just, if, I mean, he would do anything that he, need, that he could possibly do to beat you, you know? So he was uh, very, very difficult to deal with. Um, Johnny Richardson was incredibly impressive. Um, I used to love to gunfight LB Fowl because I used to have to gunfight him a lot. Like, we had a rivalry with Infamous. Always, a lot of times it was me and LB Fowl. Um, gunfight each other in the back corner. All the dynasty guys, just because they were the, you know, they kicked the shit out of everyone for a while. So you know, we had to try to beat them. They were the. They, I mean, they were. You know, it's like, dude, you have to. Like, we're again. I've said this before, but it's so important. You know, we're not playing for our lives out here. We may be playing for a bit of blood in the sense that it, you know you're gonna get hurt. You know, if you get shot 15, 20, 30 times in a match, like it's gonna hurt. But at the end of the day, you really have to thank your opponents because without them, you have no idea how strong you, you are actually are until you are pushed in a way that you don't have a choice in. You know, it's like I'm trying to do this thing and like that dude has what I want. So, all right, we're about to do this battle. And um, and so it, it, it kind of it's been. And I mean, even like all the East Coast guys too. I mean, the All Americans back in the day, all the after, all the OG aftershock guys. I mean, we did battle against all those dudes. You know, down in Florida, Rage. Um, you know, that's why I'm kind of proud of Texas because you know back in the day, uh, Texas was not anywhere near the mecca of paintball. I mean, we we gave Texas a beating most of the time more than they gave us a beating. Whereas the shock dudes and and the Florida guys would give us a beating occasionally and. You know, we'd catch her from the All-Americans and all those top teams, but not many people were getting beatings from Texas dudes, and that is not the case now. Now, Texas is the mecca of paintball, which crushes my California soul mm-hmm. to say, but it doesn't make it any less true, just because I would like California to be better. But, um, I mean, if you look at how good the Texas teams have been at the divisional level, um, now Florida, all the Florida guys right now are probably be like, bro, this is blasphemy. What are you talking about? But, uh, 
you know, to me, it's mechas, plural. But if I had to give, if I had to put my money, if we were like, let's gather all the players from everywhere, from a, at least on the divisional level, and then see what happens, I'd have to put my money on Texas. Because Texas is so strong, so deep at the divisional level. I mean, you know, Florida's strong. The Northeast has, has gotten better. Um, the Carolinas used to be super strong. I would like to see some badass teams come out of the Carolinas. Uh, because, you know, they've, they've, had some, they've had a lot of elite players over the years. And then the Pacific Northwest is also, you know, represented throughout the years too. But at least from what I've seen, and, and there have been some good teams from the Pacific Northwest and, you know, Denver, uh, you know, area, Midwest area. But as far as overall, just from what I've seen, and I would have to go and crunch the numbers um, on the divisional level, but just from what I've seen in the past, say, five to seven years, I would have to give the title of the Mecca of Paintball on planet Earth to the state, the great state of Texas, which, again, that's kind of hard for me to say. It's like, mm -hmm. I feel like I'm stumbling on the words, you know what I'm saying? But, uh, but you know, it is what it is. I mean, as a logical human, you can't sit there and hope it's one thing or another. And again, like, hey, Florida guys, Northeast guys, Midwest dudes, Cali dudes, like, hey, well, everyone needs to step up then because, you know, as it stands, from what I've seen, it's probably Texas right now. Probably. I mean, looking at uh, scores, even just from this past event, I mean, granted, it was in Texas, so you're going to have a higher percentage of Texas teams competing. But, uh, you know, two of the top four teams in the pro division, Houston heat next factor. And then you can even make a case for infamous having several Texas players and calling giant party sports in Dallas, their home field, or at least affiliated with them. Well, hold on just real quick. Houston heat ain't a Texas team. Mm. Uh, because, <laughs> well, I, well, I'll, 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 I'll quote your boy Colt Roberts on this. Cause anytime that I say that to Colt, he goes, other than Ryan Smith, show me the Texan. I'm sorry, Devin Stewart. Show me the Texans mm. on that team. You know, it's like, where are the other Texans? Because they, you know, that's a superstar team that's imported talent for wherever they needed to import it from. I'm not taking no disrespect from the Texans on that team. However, Nico Hyde is no longer on that team. So now you got essentially Devin Stewart and Ryan Smith, and that's it, you know? So whereas X Factor, bro, I mean, that's a Texas team, like through and through. Yeah, they got, you know, Billy as the adopted Texan, but, and then, you know, Parrish and that sort of thing. But, um. Yeah. Still, respect to Texas, bro. I'm not just saying that because I'm on a Texas podcast right now, <laughs> and because I've I've said this on I've said this on the webcast, dude, many 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 times for the past at least two I'd say at least three years. California used to be the mecca of paintball. Um, Florida has had a really solid run many years. The Northeast has been strong, never the mecca. Um. Carolinas have had some good representatives to step up to elite status. The Midwest too, and then the Pacific uh, Northwest. But I, I again just think it's Texas right now. Well, you got me for a couple more minutes, bro. What else we got here? All right, I gotta, yeah. I gotta, so I gotta finish this voice over here. So the big things. I uh, let's see. Uh, question. This question is by our newest partner, Uno's Jerky, who uh, is 
from Corpus Christi, also a member of the Texas Titan family. Uh, I've got a bag of his jerky right here. Has uh, flavors named after some Texas teams, including the team that I'm on, Texas Titans. So uh, visit his website, unosjerky.com. Use code PITS10. So this question is kind of how you transitioned from being a player into your current role as the voice of paintball. So what was it that brought about your retirement and why, or I guess, how did you make the connection from to being your current position as the uh, commentator for the pro division? Um, well, it, it was kind of like a slow roll uh, because, you know, started doing the, I, I went to San Diego State and majored in creative writing. I started as a business major, but I was better at writing, so went that route. And, uh, and then started getting, you know, people being like, oh, hey, write this thing for me. And then eventually, um, in a year, then, uh, uh, Patrick Sporis, my wife's like, how much longer is this going to be? I'm like, well, we're almost done, babe. Um, but, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, so it was just, I got used to saying yes a lot, man. You know, it was just kind of like one of those things where. Patrick was like, hey, I want you to write the intro for Serial Killers. I'm like, what do you want me to write? He's like, I can't tell you what to write. Just write something to your experience and that you think is going to be good. So, And then did that, and it was well-received. Um, and then, uh, you know, did was doing things for magazines. And, um, and then eventually, uh, once, you know, the early to, like, 2003 started rolling around, I had just gone up to Huntington Beach to drink beers and watch dynasty play. Cause we were locked out from playing the MPPL at the time. Cause we were playing the NXL and we couldn't play them both, um, that year. And the dudes that ran it, they sponsored us before I had been in Europe with the joy division, the, you know, in 2001. So I knew all the pure promotion guys cause we were shooting angels. So, um, and they had known that some of the stuff that I'd done. So I was kind of sitting there helping them set up their booth. This is kind of how I got my start. And uh, Willow Royo was going to do the commentary for this TV show that they were going to do for Fox Sports or something. And so uh, at Huntington Beach. And so. And uh, he's like, oh, he, and I hear him arguing in the phone. He's like, fuck, it suck. God, God damn it. You know, and then I'm like, you know, he comes over. And I'm like, what's going on, Bart? You know, that was the, not Bart Yakimek, but the Bart that ran Pure Promotions. And he's like, ah, he's, you know, English accent. I'm not going to try to butcher it. But he's like, ah, he's like, oh, you know, Will can't make it. And then he looks at me and he goes. He's like, you should do it. You'd be perfect. And I was like, do what? And he's like, do the commentary for the show we're going to do. And I was like, dude, I don't, you know, I don't, I've never done that before. I don't know if I want to do that. Like, I just came up here to watch my boys play, you know, paintball and drink some beer. And he's like, eh, you can do that and we'll pay you. He's like, you just have to watch, you know, the games and, and, you know, call the games live, meet our producer, this or that. So, you know, and I was broke at the time, so I needed money. So I'm like, okay, cool. I got it. And then, so I just got, kind of got used to saying yes. Um, so that's 2003. Like I'm in the middle of my pro career at the time. So I was doing both for years, you know, like we did a gig for ESPN and, um, and then, uh, did an, another gig for ESPN, did the Miami event. And I, I was playing, um, with excessive energy at the time we ended up winning the semi-pro division to get us another pro team. And the next year we took first and third. This is like a story that ended up not, we didn't tell on heroes for a day, but it was a cool story. Um, you know, so while we won Miami that year to get a second pro team and then the next event, the next year we take first and third at Huntington beach, uh, in 2006, 
Um, you know, so I had to like gear down and go out and do the open in front of like a bunch of people. And, and how I kind of realized that I could do it was the dude that was kind of the host was like kind of messing up a bit. And I knew all the stuff that he didn't know. So I was just like, well, this is what this is and this and that. And I'd like quiet the crowd down. So I'm like, oh, you know, it was a super nervous situation for me because I'd never done that. But I was like, oh, I feel like I could handle this. And so it just kind of snowballed from there. I just got kind of used to saying yes a lot. And then when and then Patrick came up to me, Patrick Spore, who created all the you know, push Sunday drive serial killers heroes for a day in the late two thousands. And he was like, Hey, um, you know, he's like, you've been doing these gigs for TV. He's like, do you think you could do it live? Because none of that stuff was live. It was all in post-production, which is way more expensive. And then he's like, well, technology has advanced that we could just do this live webcast it on the internet. And I said, yeah, again, just got used to saying yes a lot. I'm like, yeah, sure. I can do it. No idea if I could actually do it or not. Um, and then, so we, you know, and that's a whole nother story. And so then did that. And then that's when I kind of realized that I had a new passion, you know, I'd kind of won all the tournaments I wanted to win and was a top level player and had respect to my peers and did all this sort of stuff. And I was like, okay, I accomplished every goal that I want to accomplish as a player. To me, it's much more important for the grand scheme of paintball for me to go do this, this, and this is what I want to do. So I was just like, all right, so I'm going to go do this now. You know, so, I mean, I still wanted to play, but I, at that point it was like selfish almost to me to continue to play because yeah, I could go, you know, finish off I, my career and play, you know, as long as I could. And I just come off a couple good events. I had a good event at world cup at the time, but we took third, but, uh, I don't know. My, the, my burning passion now was to tell the paintball story because no one was doing that. And, and I wanted to carry that torch, you know? So I was like, all right. You know, it's like this is an opportunity to, to try to help us all because, again, like we've discussed, if you don't know the story, then it doesn't exist in the world. And you don't, you know, the more you know, the more you want to know. And so that's been my quest. You know, my first my quest was to try to be one of the best paintball players on planet Earth and to win paintball tournaments and win a title. And then now and has been my quest since the late 2000s when it really kind of dawned on me that that's what I wanted to do. Um, but that's been my quest is to try to just uh, let as many people know as possible how cool this is and what it is and who does it, how they do it, you know, all those different things. Well, we're glad that you, uh, made the career change, uh, because I, I don't think that, uh, we would be where we are now without you, uh, stepping up to fill those shoes because, uh, it's definitely a very, very important job that someone is at the helm for. So we appreciate you, uh, telling all of these stories for all of these years. Uh, and so this, uh, final question, uh, that this is one that I ask everybody is kind of about the upcoming stories for, for, uh, you know, newer people or those that, uh, maybe aren't as popular as some. So this question is brought to us by get that shot. Who's an NXL pro media member message, get that underscore shot on Facebook or Instagram for media coverage at the upcoming NXL mid Atlantic major or the July USXBL event. So is there anybody in paintball, either teams, players, brands, projects, uh, that have caught your attention lately. So who do you think in paintball deserves more recognition for what they're doing? Um, well, man, uh, from a company standpoint, I mean, there's, a, you know, I'll, honestly, like, there's a lot of misunderstanding of how, like I talked about earlier, like, are we fucking around or playing golf? There's a lot of misunderstanding about how things work, what is required to actually get things done, um, so anyone that's run a company 
it's profitable and still existing, dude. Respect. Uh, I do love what the Hormesis guys are doing, though. Um, just because they are pumping a lot of money into stuff. I mean, you know, it's like even the little shit that, like, so the coins that we give out. I mean, I have these red and gold coins that we give out. So the, the people that win one on one tournament or one on ones in the actual that, that Alex just created those and made them, and and he just gives them away for free. Like that doesn't cost you know that's just he's just spending that money on that. He's, um, you know they they, it's just a cool thing to see guys like Alex and Oliver, and the dudes at Field One kind of come in and do that thing, uh, where they give a shit so much about the sport that they're they're spending money to do cool things. I love that. Um. But I mean, again, it's just I have friends at all these different companies. So I, I mean, I've either worked for or with all these companies over the years. The HK guys are awesome. You know, Chris and the boys at Dyer are sweet. You know, and I'm not just like trying to throw this out to pump these dudes up because, I mean, these are friends of mine, man. Like, these guys have gone through wars to have their companies still exist to bring new products to market. You know, so it's just really kind of cool to see. But then on the team side of things, um, and then also all the new media guys. Like, to be honest, like, it makes my paintball heart smile to see how many new like even again just the fact guys like yourself dude like i've never met you until today tonight you know like but just the fact that people care enough to go to try to create something it's like all right well i'm gonna try to do this thing i'll throw it out in the world like i that's how i had to start doing things too i mean i didn't know if anyone was gonna like any of this stuff to be honest i was scared shitless you know first time people were like hey maddie write this thing i'm like what am i supposed to write they're like i don't know figure it out i'm like okay let me try to write something cool you know it's it's or try to do this thing or let's you know let's create this project it's it's been a really difficult the whole entire time so i anyone that's doing anything creative in the paintball landscape tip of my hat and respect to you man impressive we need more of that um team wise and i do need to go here pretty soon but because mm. i could speak about the team stuff for forever but just based on what we are have seen through the first uh two events um, on the underdog status, you know, before I get into the top dogs, I would have to say it's been incredibly impressive to see what New York Extreme has done. I mean, New York Extreme has been lights out. They finished their last event plus 14, bro. Like 22 points for eight against. I mean, undefeated in the prelims. They were amazing at the last event. They actually did better at the last at last event. They did this one, um, you know, because they made it, you know, into the semifinals. They lost to Heat by one point. I mean, they beat the shit out of level. They beat the Bears by two. That was their local rival. Talk shit as they were doing it. It was super entertaining. Beat the Ironman by three. Beat ML Kings by four. New York Extreme is a team to watch. Um, the Hurricanes have been incredibly consistent. Two seven-place finishes in a row combined with uh, some Sunday appearances last year. The question for the Hurricanes is, you know, can they get you know, past that quarterfinal round? Um, Aftermath had an incredibly impressive performance with a roster that not a lot of people know. That's amazing. Uh, it's very difficult to do in the Pro Division. Sixth place for them at the last event, undefeated in the prelims. They had a plus six overall, uh, plus or minus. Um, and then, dude, yeah, it's just been so crazy to watch Dynasties run. You know, Jesus Christ, man. I mean, I'm running out of, you know, <laughs> exact, I'm running out of big words and hyperbole to describe how impressive dynasty is at this point literally after we sign off i'm gonna go home my hug my kid i'm gonna go to the bathroom and i'm gonna get right back at this computer and I'm gonna write some voiceover and i what i need to try to finish off is like how amazing dynasty is because i'm just been 
describing how amazing they are for the past couple of years. And it's just, I'm running out of ways to say it. You know, they're just, I think the thing, maybe the metaphor I'm going to go with because it's just so true is that they are just taking a giant wooden stake to the hearts of everyone's dreams right now. And it's kind of impressive to see. I'm just waiting for who's going to knock them off. I think that there's a couple of teams that are really close. Uh, just from my personal biases and uh, fandom, I guess you could say, I hope it's X factor. Uh, I hope that X factor finally gets over that hump. I know they've met dynasty. Like they've been stopped by dynasty. It seems like in, pretty much exclusively dynasty for the past two plus years uh you know half the time in the finals just going up against dynasty um i know they i went up against them in this most recent event in the semifinals uh, i hope that it's x factor because i want i want to see them get over that so uh maddie that brings us to the end of our show uh thank you again so much for your time uh i know this definitely wasn't a uh short episode but uh Definitely a sweet one, chock full of uh, everything. So uh, this question uh, brought to us by Compete, which is Jell Stewart's uh, brand of soft goods. So message him on Facebook or Instagram. Mention In the Pits for 10% off of your order. So Maddie, thank you so much for your time. Do you have any last shout outs or things you'd like to say before we sign off? Uh, my pleasure, man. Thank you so much for having me on here. And just again, you know, please try to support whatever all the creators are doing. Subscribe to Go Sports. Uh, you know, like and subscribe to, as everyone says, to, to all the people trying to create things because they need it. You know, that's what we need right now. We need more people that care and that are trying to magnify the stories that exist. And the people creating those stories are doing all they can with what they have. And that's always my plea. You know, like we're doing all we can with what we have. If we had more subscribers and we had more people supporting us, we could take it to another level. I would love to create that third way. If you want to be a pro paintball player, and if you want to shoot for the moon, you got to be a hired gun for a rich guy or a poster boy for a company. Like we need more people to care about paintball so we can create that third way. Because if we can't put asses in seats and make people care, like that's the most important thing. So that's my constant plea. That's it. That's all I got. For sure. All right. Uh, thank you, Maddie. Thank you, everybody online so much for tuning in. Uh, be sure to go follow Maddie. That's at Maddie Marshall SD on Instagram. Uh, and then, of course, you know, give your support to all those creators out there. There's so many of them, especially nowadays, that are so deserving. Uh, so what other guests would you all like to see on the show? Be sure to leave a comment down below. While you're at it, hit that subscribe button. The show goes live weekly here on youtube.com slash at in the pits paintball podcast and recordings are posted to YouTube, Amazon, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify the next day. Quick shout out to my partners and sponsors, Uno's Jerky, FE Athletics, Get That Shot, Paintball Kumite, Compete, Hustletown Paintball, and Hermes PB. We will see you all next week for episode 51. We're going to have Cal Leach of the semi-pro team, Casey Missouri All-Stars. Excuse me. Uh, another Texas story here. Uh, have has Texas origins played here for such a long time. Uh, he's one of the examples that I always give when I say I want to keep Texas talent in Texas. Uh, so we'll get his story on next week, and we will uh, be posting the June episode schedule here pretty soon. Maddie, thank you again for your time. My pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs>